Welcome back, Martin the Giant fans. This is episode number 45, which is a 1983 film, Brainstorm, directed by Doug Trumbull, starring Christopher Walken and Natalie Wood. Uh, and uh, if you're wondering why am I doing this film, why did I pick this film, that's because, one, it's a film that I really love. I really love this film, and I remember seeing it as a teenager and still loving it, and I still like it to this day. Uh, the other reason is that uh, I had the opportunity uh, to have Doug Trumbull on CG Garage, which is the other podcast that I run. So if you're interested in actually hearing Doug Trumbull talk about this film or talk about his passions and stuff like that, go to CG Garage episode number 284. And if you don't know who Doug Trumbull is, well, shame on you. He is the pioneer of visual effects. He is one of the most important people and probably one of the highest revered people in visual effects. He did it, uh, the VFX for 2001, A Space Odyssey, for Close Encounters of, a third kind, of the Third Kind and um, uh, Blade Runner. <laughs> Why am I forgetting that? Blade Runner, of course. So he's a really amazing person uh, and his work is absolutely incredible. He has a big passion for high frame rate, which we talk about a lot. I will also note that I recorded this podcast before I did my interview with Doug, and I got some of my facts wrong on this podcast, so forgive me for that. For example, I say I keep saying 240 frames per second. It's not. It's not 240 frames. It is 120, 60 per eye, just so you know. So when I start saying things like 240 frames per second, just realize I was wrong, but I just got. I just doubled. I just doubled everything. So don't worry about that too much. Uh, but anyway, it's really, really great. And for because yes, Christopher Walken is the star uh, in this in this movie. Uh, don't be disappointed. You won't be disappointed. Uh, Eric does do a, a couple of really great Walken impressions as we go. Uh, I want to do one last note. Yes, we are still having audio issues, uh, specifically on Danthron's side of things. We are trying to maintain social distance uh, through these times, and it's just a bit of a challenge uh, to get that working on Dan's side. So we will be working on it. I know it's not the same as when we're all hanging out together, but I hope you guys can forgive us uh, for that. Uh, you know, the latency in the audio is just a little bit annoying, but hopefully this is still I, I still think it's a great episode I still think it's a really good episode I'm just maybe I'm a perfectionist tell me Chris you're being obsessive about it don't worry about it it's, it sounds great don't worry the, the stories are good just just tell me reassure me that everything's fine that's all I want to know <laughs> alright guys uh, really appreciate it with that being said please enjoy this awesome episode episode 45 brainstorm what are we talking about today buddies <laughs> I think we're talking about Douglas Trumbull's film Brainstorm with Christopher Walken and Natalie Wood. Uh, that was made in 1980, I want to say 81. Is that right? 81. Was it 81 or 83? 81. No. It came out in 83. Oh, okay. Um, oh, right. Took it was a, a couple of years production. to come out. Right. It was a troubled production. Um, yeah. And uh, it is famously the last movie that uh, Natalie Wood made. Uh, yeah. She died during the filming of it. Uh, and, uh, uh, but it is directed by Douglas Trumbull, who is a possibly the highest regarded person in visual effects in history. I think that might be true. Yeah. I think like, he is uh, famous for, uh, his work on 2001 Close Encounters, Blade Runner, on and on and on. And he is a visionary guy. I believe he only directed one other movie. I might be wrong about that, but he directed Silent uh, Running. 
Silent Running with Bruce Dern, which is a personal favorite of mine. Yes. Um, yeah. In the uh, in the 70s, and a very strange movie, uh, with a crazy performance uh, at its core. And uh, yeah, and so what? What do you get? What, first of all, let's let's talk about Natalie Wood. Like, what do you guys know about what happened on this? Because I, I was trying to find like uh, stuff on the internet about about her death, but it's like so, so many. Different there's a lot of rumors out there. And so I know the there's a lot of gossip about speculation about what happened on it. I know I'm the sure gossip. Eric will... Yes. Um, so I'm not say... why? Why are you assuming that I would know this? Because you love that stuff. No, I don't. <laughs> oh my God, gossip! No, I yeah, just am, you know I I followed that at the time. Right. So so just so people know, the the stars of this movie, the main stars. The, who's the other female character? Because she was really good. She was in uh... Lois Lester or Lois. Um... Louise Fletcher, yeah, she was Louise the Fletcher, Award yeah. Louise Fletcher, she's, and uh, she she actually won an Oscar for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. One Flew as Nurse right. Ratchet, yeah, she's that's terrific. right. She's really great. She's yeah. very good. Very good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then okay, so we have uh, so there's her, and then uh, uh, and Cliff Robertson also a Cliff Award nominee, I think, at least for um, uh, I want to say what's the name, uh, Charlie, right? I think the 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 movie that was based off of um, oh I can't think of the name of the book but the one where the guy uh, has his intelligence greatly increased and then it uh, goes back down again remember this one it was called Charlie anyway who is that isn't that Lucy <laughs> <laughs> it may also be Lucy uh, but uh, yeah you know a good actor he, he's also uh, one of the villains in uh, uh, Three Days of the Condor and he plays more or less right the same right here. But uh, always, he, and he was the face of AT and T for quite some time. Oh right, that's yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, and a, and a bunch of sort of other random eighties faces that I was like, oh, that guy, you know. And uh, yeah, it's it's interesting because like I don't think Natalie Natalie Wood's career was sort of on a downslope at this point. Like I don't think she had been at uh, too many uh, big things um, towards the end of her, end of her life. And this was definitely going to be like her comeback picture. And, was it? Um, and yeah. uh, well, in it bombed when it came out. Um, uh, and like they still like even though they you know she died in the last part of the production, and they had to kind of cobble. The way I understand it is they had to kind of cobble the movie together out of what they had, and they got I believe it was like her sister to do some stand-in work so they could finish some scenes, and uh, and it still holds together pretty well. Like it, it's like you, I think you can kind of feel that something's a little wonky with the movie. It's that hijinks um, towards the last part where the robots go crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's it a little bit of like you know? there's weird. Like what the yeah, hell? the tones get, tone gets a little weird. Yeah, and and the, it feels like filler. Um, but the overall thrust of the story is there, and they make the relationship with her and Walken work okay. Um, so for as much sort of like, you know, uh, upset as that was. Uh, I'm sure for the crew. Like I think the movie, the movie still comes together as kind of an interesting movie. And of course, like the overall, you know, the push that the that Trimble was going for was he wanted to make something to experiment with, something that Ang Lee is experimenting with now, which is like high frame rates. And uh, and so the movie is based around seventy or something. Of uh, yeah, it's like so that when you 75? watch the movie, run the movie on Amazon like we did. Uh, yeah, it's like the it's in. It's in standard, it's in Academy format, at 24 frames per second, 
um, for all the normal dramatic scenes. And the intention was to go to uh, 70 millimeter uh, uh, show 60 scan. frames. 60 frames a second. And, uh, uh, and so the, even when you watch it now, even though you can only see it at 24, um, uh, whenever they go into the sort of the universe of brainstorm. The yeah, it's wide format. It's like, like, yeah. Then it suddenly Switches. cuts to a wide format. And it uses a very wide angle lens when that happens. And uh, so the effect is still pretty pretty good. And like they, they pump the color a lot in those sequences. And they sort of drain the color during the real, real sequences. And I really appreciate that because usually movies sort of go the other way. Like if it's, uh, you know, like the, um, you know, it, it really, it, like instead of making the, um, uh, the recorded stuff seem fantastical, like they make it seem like the most real stuff, and they make it regular day-to-day existence look kind of bland. Uh, and there's a big jump between the two. It's kind of interesting. So uh, uh, you guys know this, but I've actually uh, been in touch with Doug Trumbull quite a bit uh, right. over the years, um, and um, he is actually in in you know as of. As of this recording, he 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 is going to actually be on the CG Garage podcast. So I am going to record a podcast with him in a few oh, days. That's great. Um, which is what sort of motivated me to talk about this thing because I was like, we should talk about this movie because I think it's a weird movie, and I'm going to get into all, all the other things, including the Natalie Wood stuff. Obviously, I think we have to cover that uh, as well, but. He obviously he he loves the idea of high frame rate, uh, but I talked about it with him for a while. I was you know I emailed him back and forth and messaged him and 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 he was doing uh, he had come up with a new idea of uh, high frame rate stuff called Maji frame rate, Maji. is what he called it, M A G I, and. Uh, his thing is that projectors, specifically digital projectors today, project at 240 hertz, meaning 240 frames per second, right? right? Or 120 frames a second, or 200, uh, 240. It, it's so, pretty high. It's super high. It's very high. But that's the refresh yeah. rate of of the right. of the of the projector, right? Right. Your TVs do that. Your TVs have a 240 hertz or 120 hertz, right? And so uh, what the TVs do is they try to give you 120 frames a second by interpolating all the missing frames, and it looks horrible, right? Yeah, the, uh, the, it, people know this as motion flow. Motion that's flow most, or whatever. One of the most right? popular, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the number one thing that all visual effects artists do whenever they go visit their mom and dad at Christmas or Thanksgiving as they go to their Just TVs turn off the and turn off all the horrible <laughs> settings that the default TVs have on them so that they can be back to as intended mode. Right. Uh, right. Which, uh, by because the way, there is a, there, Tom Cruise did a whole thing of uh, as intended mode uh, <laughs> PSA. Right did you remember that? Yeah, I do. I do. I, like, it was, the thing is, man, like, it has, it, it's very, it's interesting because it really does have, if you go to like, you know, whatever, um, uh, Best Buy, you'll see movies uh, playing on these TVs that are uh, with the with the uh, uh, tweening uh, mm-hmm. uh, motion flow on, and it has the power to turn something like The Godfather into the worst high school stage production of The Godfather I know. you've ever I know. seen. It, 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 really it looks like General Hospital. <laughs> it's so funny. It's terrible, <laughs> right? So, so anyway, I, I mean, I was talking about it with Doug about this, and I said, okay, you are very into high frame rate, right? 
<laughs> and uh, what he and I were trying to do was I was I was working on a on a uh, I was a producer on a short uh, with my friend Kevin Margo, who was directing and wrote it, uh, this thing called Construct, and it was uh, done all in CG, and you know it was, it was a big deal. Anyway, uh, Doug was interested in uh, working with NVIDIA at the time, and he came approached us, or NVIDIA and, and, and Doug approached us about doing a version of the teaser or the trailer or whatever it was of uh, Construct at the Maji specs. Now, let's just put it in perspective. Maji is 120 frames a second. 4k and stereo that's insane yeah right so in terms of the amount of data that is uh, or amount of pixels that is more specifically uh, compared to standard hd 24 frames right no it's insane it's It's like 40 times so much more yeah right it's 40 times more data so much so we had a one minute tease yeah we had a one minute teaser that we did of construct and it's the equivalent of rendering 40 minutes wow. of CG to <laughs> do amazing. one minute, right? That's amazing. That's amazing. Just well, what to put look that like? in perspective. Now, what's interesting about the idea, and, and so Doug was obsessed about it. He said, the problem is projectors. You know, if you're, if you're a projector, it's got basically you know, 240 hertz, and you're showing something that's 24 frames a second. It's showing for every refresh rate it's showing the same image 10 times and then now switching to the next one and then showing it 10 times right yeah that this that's is what he was the, planning with playing brainstorm as well like all the all the regular scenes would be in uh double printed 30 right so and so it, like it was essentially like uh 30 frames a second for all the um all the supposedly natural life stuff, right? And then it would jump up to sixty, which was the actual. Four, and then all of a sudden, like, oh, it, and it is so. It was very interesting. So, so basically, I said, okay, now duck. So you talk about you know all this stuff, and not only that, but uh, it's there's there's two hundred there's there, let's just put it this way. So the way that it works for stereo is that it switch there's a there's a um, a polarizer that switches alternates for every refresh rate. To give right. you left eye and re, uh, right eye, so every really? every two hundred and fortieth of a second, it swaps, swaps left, right, 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 right. So the way that we do one hundred and twenty frames a second is that we do one frame of the left eye, and then we skip half a frame forward for the right eye because it's exposed. So temporally, it's like it's going back and forth, back and forth. So we go oh half God, a frame wow. forward for right eye, and then half a frame back, and then we're now a full frame forward on left. Fat, bap, bap, bap. So oh the the right fr- because it swaps left, right, left, right, left, right. Temporally speaking, we're doing two hundred and forty frames a second, but we're swapping left and right eye every other frame. Uh, yeah, it, and so, so essentially, you're making one twenty per eye, but it's out of sync, so it keeps up the speed with right so it keeps up the speed so it technically is 240 frames a second it's insane right amount of data so uh i was asking him was like well why is it that when i watch the hobbit it looks like crap Mm -hmm. (laughs) or when i watch my tv that's got the motion smoothing it looks like crap and he goes Mm -hmm. because one is 
it's 48 frames a second. It's not the native refresh rate of the projector. It's not right. 120. And it's at the same time, not ahead a little bit. Yeah, it's just it just doesn't work, right? And then the right. other one is that it's it's being interpolated, so it blurs the crap out of thing to make it look, you know, temporally speaking. It's not you've lost all the richness and the detail of the picture. So the right. ham is like, if you shoot it that way, it'll look great. But when 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 suddenly Ang Lee was going to do his stuff at that rate, I sent Gemini uh, Man, etc. I sent a, a, an email to, to Doug and I said, hey, are you, is this a Maji thing? Is Ang Lee going to do this in Maji? And he goes, mm, I'm not going to talk about that. I was like, okay. So, so. <laughs> do, do, Trumbull I, I always remains an outsider in every possible situation like this. I think like, you know, like the, I think Ang Lee is a, I mean, he's made some wonderful films, um, but I think that he has an entirely different sort of structure for who is backing his movies, and and Trumbull is a like Doug Trumbull has always been a very indie-minded person, and right. which is what makes it like makes his stuff so interesting. Um, uh, but I think that like uh, Lee has a different, an entirely different sort of production structure behind it uh, that that may be at odds with how Trumbull thinks about things. E, e, uh, yes, so yeah. we should mention also that this was the last film that he did there was yeah, a he, he, uh from from what i'd been reading uh after the whole fiasco especially with the death of natalie wood and the production challenges he said he would never do another film yeah he all. hates hollywood he hates everything to do with that entire business that's, right that's the just i got and uh, there's another one that got affected by this and that's christopher mm -hmm. walken he oh, really? had, yeah, th this is the last film he ever did where, which involved him as a leading man. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Didn't he had that. never, he had never done another film after this that where he wasn't, where he was a leading man. That's, that's So he's always been a secondary right. character ever since then. Right. right. Yeah, interesting. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, Walken really was on the, he was quite on track. Yeah. Like a big, you know, De Niro level. Star. And, and you know he what? Sort of he, backs off. He was he was great in this film. Yeah, no, he's, he's very really great. great. He's very very good. And he was you know young and attractive, and although his his pants were whew, super high, nothing. Yeah, nothing great. Not, yeah, that's true. There, there are flaws. There are flaws with Brainstorm, starting with the pants. There are some <laughs> flaws, but the cinematography in it was freaking amazing. Like very Doug great Trumbull. stuff. Yeah. Like there's yeah, well, stuff also, that like only Doug Trumbull does, right? In in the way yeah. that the cameras move, he yeah. has he does a point of view camera better than anyone I know. Well, what's really interesting is that he like he has uh, I hadn't seen it in quite some time. I saw it a bunch when it was on like HBO when I was a kid. Um, but uh, uh, it was really clear to me watching it this time the the creative decision to make. Uh, like I said, like make the real stuff so boring and the mental stuff, the brainstorm stuff, uh, so vivid. And uh, uh, where like he, the production design and uh, and the framing is very. I mean, it's a, these are they're very good frames, but they're very very sort of muted, played down frames and lots of desaturated pastels and grays and tans and all this stuff. And then you pop into the brainstorm uh, vision, and it's like it hits you in the face with the opposite 
of all of that. Like a- even though you're looking at the same thing. Yeah, and it's really shocking. Even when you're watching it on a TV, you know, right. it's like it's a real, it's a tremendous jump. And, and I really appreciated his uh, his sensibility there. And I think that because I mean, like for people that haven't seen, um, we should actually mention this what the plot is about. Yeah, <laughs> so, like for people that haven't seen this thing, the basic idea is that there's a uh, Christopher Walken and uh, Louis Fletcher are uh, developing a technology that can record, um, sort of record a brain scan and play it back to people. So you can record other people's experiences and then you can play that experience back to yourself. And it's not just the visuals, it's everything. It's the emotion and it's, it's their thoughts are kind of webbed into it. And it's like you really turn into that person um, for, for the duration of watching the watching You re-experience the something you 100% as though you were there. Right. And it's so VR. You'll, you'll, it's you'll, basically yeah. a VR, like the, the most ultimate VR experience you can get. Yeah, because it's, it also simulates your... And recordable uh, like VR. If you, if it records. Recordable VR. And so, like, then, and it gives you the feelings. So, like, if you're, you're playing a tape of someone who's angry, then you will become that angry. And you will have all the memories and emotions and all this stuff linked into these uh, visions. And so, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, uh, you know, techno development story where they're, they're doing this, the military wants the thing, and as they have different plans for it. And, um, and during the, um, of course, uh, this is fighting. 81, so height of the Cold War situation, right? Like, let's, like let's, mil- villains, let's militarize everything. Let's militarize right? this, right? So yeah, the, 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 the military way, is the bad guys. All the villains, all those, you know, in military-industrial complex guys have the same type of slacks, all in the 70s <laughs> and 80s, and they all right, smoke, right, and right. you know, it's, oh, of course, it's yeah. just so, it's like, uh, it really was funny to see in their names. So it was, yeah. uh, I was like, oh, here we go, military industrial complex guys. Yeah, it's a classic. It's the, uh, you know, it's, it it's, was, they're it's, all that central casting in that. It was a, like everyone, everyone, everyone in any of these movies had that same vibe as bad guys. It was hysterical. The, uh, that, who was the, the, the shitty Andy Warhol character guy? I know, he was great, wasn't he? Yeah, he's awesome. Andy Warhol's yeah, so cousin. Good. Yeah, he was. I, I still haven't looked. Yeah, that's exactly. Robert Warhol from Pittsburgh. He has been in something else that I'm familiar with, but I can't quite pin it down. I want to say he's been in a Paul Verhoeven movie or something like that. Like that, I love that guy. He's really great. Um, so yeah, they uh, the military wants to steal the thing. They're still in development of trying to produce this, and uh, the uh, like. There's walking... a couple of key things that are recorded that mm-hmm. are like uh, sort of life-changing that happen. Right. So what they do is they experiment with stuff. Oh, let's record someone eating fruit. Let's record what it tastes like to do this. Let's go on a roller coaster. Let's go on a water slide. Let's do And all this. these things let's are very that. exciting, right? But, uh, right. but not, this is basically right. like it just reminded me of all the, like when VR was hot like a few yeah, years right. ago, just reminded me of that. Let's just do all that. Let's just, let's do this. Let's do that. Yeah, and the, the was, very surface level but very exciting stuff. But it's sales right. pitchy stuff. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. right. And but then, uh, well, one like one character records uh, uh, having sex with someone, and right. another another character plays it back. Like, so, a million so, oh times. yeah, this becomes like that's kind of like the contraband. Like, hey, hey, I, I recorded this. Check right. it out. Right. And then Which you is funny because that's it, how and, most and it gets passed around to everyone to do it. <laughs> right. 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 Uh, but the big crossover is when Louis Fletcher who has. Well, hold on, hold on, what, the, the, hold on. There's something oh, more ahead, specific sorry. about it, because yeah. the, the, he gives it to this old guy. He's like, yeah, 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 I'm not gonna do it. And he checks it, out, and then the guy goes to his his basement, right, and mm-hmm. and plays back the the sex scene. 
but mm-hmm. the the so way that it's recorded, over which and is, over again. Yeah, yeah. So what it is, the way that it's recorded is actually on tape. Mm-hmm. So right. it, he takes it because it's tape and it's linear. He takes the loop of the orgasm and makes a right. loop of just the orgasm right. and plays it to himself over and over and over again to the point where he becomes catatonic in a chair. Yeah, scrambling his brain. <laughs> scrambling his brain, just experiencing an orgasm for 24 hours pretty much, right? Right. right. Uh, uh, which is funky and weird and and something really to think weird. about like all of these things make you think like oh if this was possible imagine what would that would be like you know yeah exactly weird exactly. weird stuff but uh but of course now you're bringing sex into it the next thing you're going to bring into it is death and mm-hmm. uh and this is what happens with louise fletcher's character who, 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 who they've been it's hinting a, the whole time is a bad health a chain right. smoker Smoke, and, smokes and a this, lot etc et yeah. yeah yeah because like, she is obviously like and she has very angry reactions to uh, people trying to steal the um, technology. And finally, um, she's pushed over the edge, has a heart attack, and as she is dying, she decides to put on the recording equipment and record her own death. And uh, and that is now recorded on tape. And so uh, Christopher Walken uh, becomes uh, obsessed with trying to uh, get a hold of the tape and and experience what she experienced. Um, but the military is kind of getting his way to try to take it away because they can use it to control people's minds. Right. And that's the sort of the, the tension. Or kill people. Last, <laughs> or kill people, for that matter. Um, and, uh, and so when uh, uh, Walken finally does play the tape back, it is a, you know, it's the full-on, you know, deliver the good special effects moment. The, the, uh, the 2001 trip journey, uh, uh, as he is, uh, 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 you know, both ex- experiencing the death and then going beyond that and seeing what she believed that she saw, and that's right. a transcendent moment for a walker. And so these, right. the, that's basically those are the main ideas behind the movie. Um, and uh, and I think that like the uh, like there's definitely stuff that uh, Trumbull likes, you know, like he's, you know, he, he's he's clearly inspired by uh, you know his own work in two thousand one. And like, there's certain like uh, techno ethical ideas that he is uh, that he that he also talks about, like in Silent Running, that are really sort of hang with him. Um, but this is like one of the most successful things that he's ever done in terms of like delivering that as a emotional experience for through characters. Like they'd say, because like you, Silent Running is really really good, but it, the, there's there's one great actor in that, and that's Bruce Stern. Whereas like this one actually holds together as a real, you know, a movie with a, a a complex set of characters uh, that's you know really headed towards something. And I think it's a I think it's a better movie for the most part than Silent Running is, um, and it's a more daring and innovative movie. And it's a more sort of uh, it's a movie that's more artistically in control of itself. Um, but at the at the same time, like like Eric said, like there's there's something you feel like something is like there's a chapter or two missing from the ending third uh, where they. Don't really have all the goods to pull it together. But that was the yeah. was that was the uh, reshoot that down. Lloyd's of London made him do, right? Yeah, they give they give him like a million bucks or a couple million bucks to pull it off. Couple and it's, million, it's, you know, like it's it's hard to recover from, you know, your main act, one of your main actors dying, uh, and it's really amazing that he that he he came so close. But like, there's a I've heard, like yeah, I saw even when I saw this when I was a little kid, like I was it was one of these movies where I'm like, this is very close to being a great movie, um, right? 
And I still feel that way. I watched this, I was like, could you, oh, man, he's, he was really onto something. With could this. you ask him, is there a director's cut out there? I can ask him that. Because they made it. They had to do some reshirts with her sister. But then right. it was uh, Lloyds of London. <clears throat> MGM said, scrap the whole show and give us the insurance. But then Lloyds of London saw a cut and said, wait a minute, it's almost completed. Why would you need insurance to yeah. scrap it? So then right. they said, you have to finish it. So MGM said, okay. So Lloyds of London put the money up. So what was the cut that they saw? You know, there's, it right. seems like maybe, I'm wondering if there's multiple cuts. And maybe he was so angry at MGM for trying to scrap it. That's why, I, there's this weird yeah, time. Maybe Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I can well, try to ask him that question. Were, I, 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 I don't want to, like, you know, scratch old scabs, right? <laughs> Just <laughs> sure, ask sure. him if he was on but the it's boat. It, but it's, it's interesting. Like, nothing nothing you, too sensitive. No, so, okay, so, <laughs> I think, so, I think so we've, got, we've gone through the story, and we know, so the, the problem is really at the end of the story when, when he, uh, uh, Natalie Wood and Christopher Walken are go through this elaborate scheme for him to be able to play back uh uh the the death scene right um just he right. he figured out a couple technical things he had to do he had to he had to modify his playback machine to not transfer certain respiratory and heart rate things basically so he doesn't have a heart attack too uh, but Himself, is able yeah. to experience all the other things. Because one of the bad guys tries to play it back and does have a heart attack. Does have a heart attack. Yeah. So I yeah, remember when, when, I, when I watched uh, this movie, uh, when I was a kid too, uh, I was a teenager, and I watched Brainstorm and Dreamscape all the time. So they were very – there's oh, yeah. a lot of similarities kind of in weird ways, but this is a way mind. more sophisticated movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Oh yes. Were they oh, yes. both James Warner? All, all props to Dreamscape, but yes. Were they all oh, yes. both James Warner? Were they both yeah. James Warner? Uh, I believe they're both James Warner. That's a great point. I think that's right. Because and, the uh, tone musically was like yeah. What James is Warner that, 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 No, I don't know what you're talking about. The composer James Warner did uh, Dreamscape, but he also did. Um, I'm asking if he did. Um, what was the other movie you mentioned? We did the podcast on it. Oh yeah, Brainstorm. Did, uh, uh, Dreamscape and Brainstorm. Uh, right, he did both. Yes. Yep. And so, yeah, because people recognize James Horner uh, from uh, Star Trek II and Aliens as well. That's what he's most famous for. Okay. Um, and uh, Dream and uh, uh, and uh, uh, Brainstorm has a, uh, its primary score is actually quite good. It's very very good. Um, mm -hmm. It he leans on uh, Horner leans on a lot of his sort of standard phrases. Like if you watch a lot of movies, you're gonna be like. Oh, I heard that in Aliens, and oh, I definitely heard that in Star Trek. Uh, like he'll borrow from himself an awful lot, but like the the score is very, very good to Brainstorm. You know, it's a, it's it's a it's like the whole movie has a real like it has a sort of classiness to it that feels like it should have been a bigger hit than it was. Like it's a it's a it's a sort of a surprise movie um, because like you know when when you watch a movie like this and you haven't heard of it, you you sort of set your expectations a little low. You know, you're just like, right. I bet this is a terrible movie. Um, but in fact, it's a really good movie. And it, it has a feeling, uh, and it's sort of grandiose, uh, and I mean in a good way, like a, a big feeling love story behind it um, that 
like when the movie shifts between the real world and the brainstorm world, um, it feels like you're going between um, a Cronenberg film and then switching to a Terrence Malick film. And yeah. uh, it's a really powerful mm. change, you know? And, uh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. It, like, I, because I mean, like, when it when it gets to, when it cuts to the uh, the the romantic stuff when they're up at um, uh, Kill Devil Hill and I think that's what it's called right Kill Devil Hill the um, the uh, Wright Brothers Hill Wright Brothers and yeah, uh, yeah the, and when they're there it's like yeah this was all shot in North Carolina romantic feel yeah it's really yeah. gorgeous that like those guys I mean I think that uh, you know Walken and um, and uh, and Wood have like a great weird nerdy chemistry between them and the camera work because he's using these short lenses is like this is I don't know if Terrence Malick was as big a fan of this movie as I am, but I mean, like, I think that Malick saw something like, saw this, and was like, this is what works, because, like, Malick doesn't change into that, into that style until, like, the late 90s. Yeah. They, Here's Douglas Trouble doing it back have... in the 80s. Well, hold on. Let's, let, really before you get, before you get into the, before you get into that, Eric, real quick, the, just so people know, the, the story plot of Natalie Wood, is Natalie Wood worked at the company, too, but she was, like, in the marketing and design group, of the company and PR, uh, yeah. she and she and uh, Christopher Walken's character were separated or divorcing. They were not, their, their, their marriage was, yeah, they're, they're the in the middle of a divorce. Yeah. They're in the middle of like divorce. So, so, and it like, was not going well. Right. And they had a son that had an amazing house together, et cetera. But obviously their Rational marriage. Had, had, Lampoon's vacation kid. Right. Oh, yeah, it was the National Lampoon's vacation kid. Yeah, I saw him come out. I was like, wait a minute. That's the kid. And I had to look it up. I was like, that, I swear that's the kid from vacation. It is. Rusty? Yes. Rusty? <laughs> yeah. Is it Rusty? Uh, but yeah, yeah, no, yeah, exactly right. What a weird place to put a story. I mean, like, like the, what a, a strange way to frame a story. It's just like having a science fiction sort of adventure story. And then you're like, okay, let's have the main character be in a amicable divorce with his uh, soon-to-be ex-wife selling the house and he's also romantically involved with you know the person he's developing this technology it's, it's such a strange starting position uh for characters and uh what's really interesting and i, I think this is part of the, the sort of the the follow-through problem that the movie has is like because they don't really get to sum that story up um, right it misses out on driving it all the way home but it is. It was so about, powerfully emotional. Uh, the first third of that movie was so emotionally powerful. It was so yeah. great. And and uh, yeah. also and the really, other thing that they, you know, obviously they start to realize that their relationship is is starting to uh, like he's trying to heal the relationship. He started based on right. the fact that he's recognizing all these things about what's going on. He's starting to heal it and start to un understand it. Oh, I can actually now record emotions so even though i can't express my yeah. emotion what i can do is i can record my emotion and play it back to her so that she can feel the way i feel and it's a much better way of expressing right. can, my emotions can, and trying to explain other, yeah. what they are right and he right. says and this is me i'm presenting you in a primal you, way right. yeah and of, the, yeah. of course when he does that she can relate to him better than any other way possible because he re they re-experienced their marriage together, their kids, and their, yeah. all those things. Uh, but the big problem, that. the story problem, that, the big story problem is, is that Natalie Wood's character, as though he's presenting himself to her, she's not happy with the frame rate in which he's presenting himself to her. And that goes <laughs> like, to the whole story. It's like, could you present story. this to me Can at 24 frames? Higher frame rates, but you are 
yeah, two frames a second. And he's like, yeah, but then the interpolation is different. Come on. I love I'm you. I'm showing you one and of you me with this me eye, and then I have to go up forward in time by a friend. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it's that's a saturation it's, it, it hits a lot of, uh, I mean, this is a lot of problems for people. I'm in not a Vizio TV. Marriages. It's me. I'm not a Vizio. <laughs> And he says that, and you get that. You understand why he's saying that. You can't just leave the motion flow on. Leave the motion flow. Look at me, madly. Motion flow. All right? I'm not that. I'm 260 frames. Right? Of love. I'm told that's, so that's frames really, of love for you. That's the merge. It's the first real film where it merges technology and love and contemporary frame rates. That's very true. Very true. Yeah. <laughs> contemporary frame rates. And, uh, yeah. But yeah, like that's the, that is the thing. It's like I, I think that that is the, the the movie is on sort of I was joking by the way, guys. An epiphany. But it's also actually, were you? Yeah, <laughs> because I really think yeah, that, like, that that movie, that uh, that Walken was I, on set. I think he's talking right about that. <laughs> I think that's probably if we could just go back and brainstorm this. But the uh, but like yeah, I think that the movie is on the is on the verge of a um, uh, an epiphany, romantically speaking, and then it kind of has to back out of it because there's no. They don't get to finish I, that story. I just wonder because and of that, her death. That's it. Just kind of became yeah, exactly. together. I think I think that's what happens, and and I think that this is one of those. Movies and that hijinks such an opportunity that to retell that story stuff was so stupid. I don't know how they allowed that. Where well, the yeah, security guy is running <laughs> out, and then he's picked up by a forklift. It's like what? What is this? Heart to heart. <laughs> yeah, it's very strange. Uh, well, I know why you said that too. Wah wah uh, wah. So, uh, <laughs> Okay, so we should explain a little bit. Let, let, let's uh, let's uh, talk about the elephant in the room. So what actually happened with Natalie Wood? Well, all we know is that she drowned off the coast of Catalina and uh, in some sort of accident involving a boat that's uh, with Robert Wagner. Is that right? Robert Wagner. Uh, who, was uh, Walken. I, who was her yeah. And then, uh, Rob Wagner was her husband. Wagner is famous for being uh, uh, on Heart to Heart as well as playing number two in Austin Powers. Yes, that's correct. And uh, and the, there's you know there's plenty of speculation as to like whether or not Walken and her were having an affair. And I, I believe that after watching that, this yeah. again, um, they were they had really wonderful scenes together. They were intimate. Oh, I think they're was, great together. Yeah, the chemistry was really good. Yeah. And I had I had heard that 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 was it. That there was a fight between him and 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 uh, Wagner on the boat, which was on a dinghy, uh, in uh, where Avalon around that area and in Catalina, yeah. you you dinghy your boat and then you have to take a little boat to the dock, and the current yeah. is so strong there. But I had heard that it was a breaking up of a fight and she got knocked in, right? And the current just took her her way. So, so then they yeah, made a pact and said, "We're not going to talk about this." <laughs> it's uh, it's plausible. It's plausible. Yeah, like that's, it was. She died. She, da- she drowned uh, off the boat. Um, and there's, a, there's so Calling many for rumors. Help. Yeah, so many rumors yeah. whether he pushed her off or whatever was going on. There's a lot of random stories about that, right. but. Robert Wagner was her husband or boyfriend or I don't know were they married or I don't husband know. They had kids together, yeah. yeah. They had kids okay. together. 
And then obviously now, now Trumbull. I think Trumbull's point of view is that that's not true. I think Trumbull's like Trumbull said, like you know, I was on set every day with them. And they had no, they had no, uh, like he said that they're like they had shot more sort of like, you know, like a sex scene and other stuff with them, and it just didn't work. Like they didn't have any chemistry together in that way. And so he is he's very much on the you know he's like you know it was a sad accident that Natalie died, but there was no like foul play or any weirdness going on. Right. So that's that's Trumbull's point of view on that. Uh, which I respect. I mean, that seems you know, sure. Maybe right. Absolutely. Yeah. You know. But the the situation of her being there with Walken and I mean, it's just like it feels it feels weird, and I understand why people have conspiracy theories about it because like it's oh, but, well, it also makes for a great story, right? Um, but there's no. By the way, really his wife was on set. Yeah, exactly. His wife was in the movie too. Christopher Walken's. Oh, wife? really? Walken's wife. Who is who is Walken's wife? Yeah. Oh, I didn't. I, She's one all. of the actresses, Georgiana. Georgiana Walken, but I don't know her maiden name. But that was his wife since the 70s. Oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know. Yeah. She's so, a casting yeah, agent a... now. She cast all the like soprano shows and stuff like that. Oh, I see. Yeah. Interesting. But yeah, stra- strange set of, set of circumstances. And I think that yeah. like when the movie gets fi- was finally delivered, or at least when they, when they, showed, they showed the cut to MGM, like, the movie's just too weird and daring. Um, for like a wobbly company like MGM to want to follow through, like they're they're going right. to look at that and say like, we can recoup the money before we lose it. You know, like it's it's too, it's too much of a risk, and you know, and in a way they were you know business wise, you know, the movie didn't make any money; it bombed out, uh, and so uh, it may have been too hard a sell to pull it off because people they they didn't let they didn't let them do the show scan thing. Um, it was going to be shown like it's, the visuals are great, but like the sort of like the uh, the uh, uh, theme park attraction of seeing it at sixty frames is not going to happen, and um, and of course like you know uh, Wood's death didn't help out either. So like I think that like the last part of the production of the movie is like it's hard to make the movie like even if you get Lloyd's of London backing you like I don't think you're in the right frame of mind to finish that movie properly when you're working with. Do a, you recognize a the character. scenes? Do you recognize? I was trying to go through and find the scenes where her sister played her. No, I didn't. I can't tell. I mean, he, he did. Trumbull did a good job. You know, like he covered it really well. I couldn't tell. Yeah, I had no yeah, idea. Yeah, I was looking for those. But um, um, but I can't imagine being in his in his position, uh, know, having to finish that movie. That'd be it'd be incredibly heartbreaking. And like trying to hold it together while the movie company doesn't even want your movie, and you're fighting to get it made. It's like that's as depressing as it gets. Right, I kind of feel and like especially a movie like that, which had so much potential to be such a great movie. Yeah, and it has so much of like clearly it has, it has his heart in it, not only for the sort of like the the uh, effects showmanship and you know uh, transformative element of what he's trying to do filmically, um, but like when you if you look at like what Walken is trying to do as a character in the movie is like he's trying to have a certain transcendent experience, right? That the government won't let him have. And that is what Trumbull is doing with his life. You know, he's <laughs> like, I want to deliver this brilliant transcend- transcendental experience via film because film has gotten so fucking boring, you know. And here's all these idiots in suits from central casting coming telling me that I can't do it, you know. And so I think that this uh, is, it was a really, uh, really personal uh, thing for him. You know? And I, th- I think that, uh, like, I don't, I don't blame him for getting the fuck out of town when, when, when they screwed him over. What a, what a drag. You have this total, you know, breakthrough vision in mind, and then they, and they, and that suddenly everyone just 
turns their backs on you. That's that's really sad. Yeah, because the first the first hour plus of the movie are is it's it's amazing. You're like, I can't wait to see this movie, and then you're you're then at the death scene. The yep. death scene's really good. Everything's really good, and then you know the military gets involved, and it's just at the time where they're like trying to come up with a way to play it back and then it turns into some f- fucking Marx Brothers gimmicky stuff doesn't make it like it gets goofy it's like the A team it's very like yeah. there's like oh you know water foam like it was so sophisticated before suddenly like oh slippery foam everyone's falling and there's a hose and that yay there's a robot that's like throwing foam I wonder stuff. if somebody else I wonder if somebody else directed that stuff yeah dude it's like the once it gets to the laughing robot with the robots going this is like short circuit this is a bad but that idea. was Culver City they <laughs> shot that those those reshoots right. so that I wonder if yeah, it was really? a TV director that came in to do it I'm yeah asking. I mean it could be it, the, like to- totally it's way off base it doesn't it doesn't match. doesn't even match yeah yeah, no, doesn't it doesn't even, match. Yeah, it's not even, not even close <laughs> to being this... <laughs> Robotics don't snap at you like that. I want you to know that. There was a lot of stuff in there that I liked. Take that off, son. Don't wear it. Don't wear it. Kiss me. The stars are above us. Sure, to our favorite fans. You, you knew this was coming. <laughs> it was good. I was picking up. I stopped it to practice. There was some good stuff. I was like, huh, this is new material, but I'm not going to go down that road tonight. But um, I do have really great stuff for the uh, Photoshop for this episode. So I'll send you pictures. You have to post. <laughs> Can't wait. I, I right, found some great. really good ones. Like, oh, and I started on the Godzilla one. Genius. I, it's all behind, a lot of it's behind the scenes Godzilla stuff. Oh yeah, nice. So oh, you so guys good. are just posing next to guys, guys on cigarette breaks, you know, with the guys with suits <laughs> on. So I'll send them to you. Yeah, it, <laughs> that's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> so, so so what what did uh, what did uh, Trumbull start doing after this movie? What, what did he turn to? Therapy. I think. Well, so. he he did. Uh, so he did a bunch I don't know, of something. Not it was definitely not Hollywood, but he did his response like. Theme rides. He did a big video for the opening of Luxor. Didn't he do sure. that? I th- right? In Vegas? Oh, so yeah, that's right. that's right. He did some other yeah. weird stuff uh, as well. And I'm going to get into it. I mean, I mean, that's the thing I'm going to ask him. It's like, so where, where, what happened, Doug? What happened? You just dropped the ball and fucked up? <laughs> I'm not going to say that. You know what's no. interesting? <laughs> Watching this movie, sorry, again, it reminded me of when I first moved here and I worked at an optical house years and years ago. And it's like there are so many cool, so much cool imagery you can make optically, right? And so really beautiful stuff because the graphics were beautiful Yeah. on right. some of those uh, uh, vision scenes, you know, when they go in. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It that's was incredible. Great. And I was like, he so did much optical, st- optical stuff. Well, I know I was joking around. about him dropping the ball. He, he is, first of all, he is a perfectionist to an extreme, right? Like Doug Trumbull's oh, yeah. perfection. Yeah. Like he's, his eye. He's is produced some beautiful. of the most beautiful images in film. 
Yes, yeah, like, like I mean, his, his work in yeah. Yeah, like it's just it's stunning, stunning. It's like right. it's like you know his work even if you don't know his name. He's made some of the most important looking stuff you've ever seen. I don't know. Absolute, absolute. Yeah, but it's the it was the one they made before the new Blade Runner. Huh? <laughs> was it before twenty forty nine? There was a different Blade Runner. Oh. Yeah, 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 beautiful. He's, he's a legend stuff. for sure. What a lost art form in some ways. Yeah. yeah, and the, there's a physicality to the stuff that he did that they still yeah. don't really get. The physicality, and also, it's really about like understanding not only how bending light, but understanding chemicals, yeah. and how are you going to process this? Just the red, and bring it back, and and there's so many cool things because, the, like I was saying, that optical house I worked at, it had a lab downstairs. Right. It was the last lab license given in Los Angeles right. in the fifth. So, because you couldn't do it anymore because of the, all the toxic chemicals, and um, by law in California, Photochem uh, is the last uh, place you can develop film. And it was just like match magician. Yeah, Photochem is the last is place yeah, you can man, develop I, film I, I in, believe in, it. in the United States. So, because they still have the grand. I think that when the place that I worked at uh, in the late '90s and early 2000s, they had the license, and I think they sold the license off. You, you, it's like a, a, a taxi yes, cab they did. thing. Yes, they did. This is post. Uh, to what be it able called? to develop. Uh, post. Uh, what was the name of the place? Um, uh, they just sold it. They, it was called Title House. And Title I think, House. Yeah, they did sell they, it. But I think there's a, yeah, because, because they literally, from what they had told me back then, is that they got they have one of the last chemical lab licenses in Los Angeles. No. Photochem still it. has one. But it's cool stuff how they do that. Yeah. Uh, no, no, not so, the last. They were given the last one back in the 50, 60s or 70s. Meaning oh, the last one to get one. They, yes. The state gives out licenses yeah. to get one. If, if, and if, then if you, you close said, your no, doors, if, if you close your so doors, you have no that. license anymore. Yeah. If you close your doors, you have no license anymore. Yeah. yeah. So they, it's a hard to get thing. It's like a medallion taxi cab, but yeah, it's, it's exactly beautiful right. stuff. And I got those artists. I told you the story of the guy who worked in, in Whole Foods, mm -hmm. right? I told you that. Yeah. Did I ever tell you guys that Again? story? No, the no, guy, yes. one of the guys that, I told you that, right? Like one of the guys I worked at the lab, he was Russian. He was the most genius guy optically. And years later, probably late 2000s, right around speed shape. I was at Whole Foods and he was bagging groceries. No. <laughs> and he saw me, I saw him, I was depressed. I was in tears in my car. Yeah. Like, <laughs> how is this possible? Part. A guy who can bend light and with chemicals, understand the channel, how processing, like how much chemical to go in to process red channels, everything. And it was amazing yeah. stuff in experimental <laughs> films, genius. Yeah. yeah. Dan, you okay yeah, with that? Man. No, I'm making the boop noise as he's scanning groceries. Yeah, and doing that—that's really <laughs> depressing, dude. To have an art form like that lost, but it was very that's Hollywood awesome. moment where it's like, man, that's going to be us in visual effects. I said, no, they'll no, never get rid of three D. <laughs> yeah, well, cut to Unreal just, Engine. <laughs> yeah, it's all, yeah, yeah, it's all AI. It's all ball bearings these days, man. <laughs> not ball bearings. But it was an interesting film. I I think it's not his fault because having a death on by your lead. And such a prominent lead and well loved. Yeah. It's and then the Lloyd's of London thing. I was, I was reading. I was like, oh, you're just you've lost control of your film. 
and this yeah, stinks. No, it, that's tricky. Yeah. Uh, but that's I mean, this is luck. definitely one of these movies where I, I really feel like this, like this, could stand a remake just to get that vision across. Like it's a, it's such a good idea and it's such a powerful setup. Um, it still would work but, today. Uh, I think that like <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, and you could still prove the same point that he wants to prove today. You know, like because uh, you know, like the people that love uh, HFR, like love HFR and uh, and they haven't found the right way to convince people yet you know like I uh, I didn't get to see um, Gemini Man in HFR um, but I uh, I did watch I watched it just at, at home on regular pay-per-view um, and it was the, it's a it's a it's a kind of dull movie like it doesn't really move very quick but it is interesting how Lee had to shoot in order to accommodate HFR. And I think that there's something, I'm not sure how Trumbull feels about this, but, I, but like, the, the fact that this stuff, you know, when I saw, like, The Hobbit and whatnot, you know, the fact that this stuff looks so real, like, it looks so real, and apparently it, you know, I was only seeing Hobbit at 60 frames, and at 120, it's, like, it's phenomenal. Um, I think that it fights with the way that we tell stories on movies, like, the way that we learn to act, and the way that we learn to write for actors and all that stuff becomes revealed as as false. You know, it's like it's a, it's a style that we work in and we accept. But like even the most realistic movies, like that's not how people talk and that's not how people, you know, um, sort of interact with each other. Um, mm-hmm. And it, I think there may be a psychological difference between what we expect from something that looks absolutely real versus something that we've come to think of as real, even though it's not real because like yeah. people think of like you know like the style of movies today oh it's so realistic i'm like this is no more realistic than when you know brando's yelling stella you know You're like mm-hmm. it's like it, it like you, you don't realism is just a style that you work in uh it doesn't make it real you know it's just you're 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 aping a, a quality of re- reality you're not actually trying to replicate it and the uh uh and if you shoot an hfr i have a feeling that you need to come up with a different kind of um, filmmaking. Like, the, the, like the, the, the nature of what you are shooting has to be different. And how the actors work has to be different. And so I'm, I'm, I'd be excited to see people working it. You are, you are, you are, a, I mean, when, when, I, when I talked to Doug about it as well, he said the same thing. It's like, it, and I think it actually, one of the reasons that Brainstorm works specifically uh, in this area is that uh, the HFR stuff was first person experience, mm-hmm. right? So his whole point right. was mm-hmm. the way your brain your brain works at a high frame rate it doesn't work at twenty four frames a second, right? Mm-hmm. So when you right. so that's the so when I'm gonna try to show you something that looks feels like correct then you're going to go, oh, wow, that's how my brain right. looks, right? And so, uh, so whenever he does right. first-person experiences, then, it, then that's when he uses that high frame rate because it, the fluidity feels different, and that's what makes it feel more real. And then the third-person experience can be at a lower frame rate, right? So that's because it's, you're, you're removed. You're, right. you're, uh, and that, that's, I think that's his point. Now, listen, what I also said was like, you know, Doug has kind of given up. Yeah. I, I was kind of joking about that because 
he is a brilliant, brilliant filmmaker in, uh, in the way that he makes films. He is unbelievably, t to this day, he's very technologically advanced. He still is going through and telling me all kinds of stuff that I don't even know. And dude, the guy's like in his 80s, right? And he's telling me about like incredible technology yeah. stuff uh, in terms of filmmaking and, and special effects yeah. and visual effects. Uh, and so, you know, I'm talking and he's like, oh, don't worry about it, Chris. The rendering times are going to be much less because you're not going to have to deal with motion blur as much. And I know motion blur ruins your render times. It's like, uh, yeah, you're right. He does. So that's so I mean, like he really knows his <laughs> stuff like, and he's, he's an incredible, brilliant man. Um, but I, who was yeah, it? He's it been was, ahead of the curve. One of the two life. of you said he's like more of like an independent filmmaker than 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 a, than a, than a big mainstream guy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, and that's and that's the thing is like, yeah, like when people like people diss high frame rate stuff when they see, uh, you know, the the Hobbit and whatnot, um, and uh, like the way what I look at, it, I'm like, yeah, that doesn't work, but it doesn't make it uninteresting. Like there's it's it's a new thing to experiment with, to figure out how to make a movie with it. You know, I think that's exciting. You know, it's like it's like you don't you want to try and make something dramatic and involving and um, and uh, and deliver the goods for the audience. And now the old rules don't work. And so instead of just bitching about the fact that the old rules don't work, make up new rules. You know? right. And I think that that's his mindset all the time. I mean, yeah. we kind of landed like, on this uh, arbitrary could, 24 frames a second, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, like, it was explained to me, like, there's an interesting explanation for this. Like, I really do love um, 24 frames a second. Like, and if it goes faster than that, it turns into the video problem that we were describing before, where it looks like a soap opera. And I think yeah. that, like, the way it was explained to me was that like, your your mind interacts with the information in a different way when, uh, depending upon the framework. And so, like, when it's at 24 frames a second, your your brain is actually making, your brain is doing the tweening, right? The, your brain is making up the missing element. And it's drawing, it's doing a lot of the work. And so it produces a dreamier state of consciousness to watch things like this like you're you're it's it's not reality it's very it's a it's a it's a very real seeming non-reality which is why i think that the way that movies work is profound you know like it it you forget about yourself and it sort of hypnotizes you a little bit because your brain has to do a lot of the creation itself and i think mm -hmm. that's wonderful and we've totally explored that and uh, and figured out how it works with 24 frames a second and that's a great uh effect and a great technique um, but when it gets up into the higher frame rates, your brain interprets the information differently because it doesn't have to do the work anymore. It just starts receiving it as reality. And when you're receiving something as reality, like reality doesn't contain stories or performances. <laughs> you know? Right, like, like theater. It doesn't have right? that stuff anymore. Yeah, uh, it's, yeah and, like, and what's weird it's, is like yeah. theater, for instance, is like theater is real. It's as, that's as high frame rate as it gets. So like it's infinitely high frame rate. Um, and theater works because it is so elevated that you can remove yourself up into a different plane yourself. Like, like theater is so, uh, is so uh, incredibly non-real, um, but it, it finds a balance against the fact that it's literally physically happening in front of your face. And so the, uh, it, the it finds sort of like the Lagrange point between those two things. Yeah, it's true, absolutely. But I mean, like, there's a like you're coming at it and you're saying I'm in a room and these are real people and I can feel the sweat, you know, coming off the guy's brow when he's doing his big speech, right? It's real, and uh, and 
balanced against that is the hyper non-reality of what performance and plays are. And you find yourself at the sort of uh, the in-between point, the balance point between your actual physical reality that you're engaging in and the mental non-reality of what you're believing in. And so maybe that's an answer for HFR. You know, maybe that's what you do is like try and shoot a play and have it broadcast to theaters or whatever it is. You know, broadcast it live. Um, or but find some other way to use this so you're not breaking it by using the wrong uh, dramatic tools, which is what they did with The Hobbit. Like, The Hobbit doesn't What work was the problem with The Hobbit for you? Uh, because The Hobbit seemed entirely fake. And it was, and like, it, like not fake in a, in a uh, artifice's fun way, uh, but in a this is underproduced and not believable way. And even though they're dumping mountains of cash on me to try to convince me that all this stuff, like, it looked, it looked, it looked bad fake. It looked like these are shitty styrofoam sculpted castle walls. I can see the makeup on Gimli's face. Um, the performance is like nobody actually talks like this, so it just seems stilted and weird. You know, and these are all the things that are revealed by um, having this being reported to me at a high frame rate. And so like when you if you're critiquing high frame rate, whether it works or not, using that as a standard, when you're trying to say like, okay, make a, a essentially a romantic 25, 24 frames per second film, but do it in HFR, it's gonna break. Now, what you really should do is try to invent new rules of storytelling that support the technology or that are inspired by the technology. So I wonder I what those what rules you, are because, I'm, you know, I'm like... Assuming like, that Trumbull would agree with me on that. What, yeah, and that, that's what I want to talk to him about a lot. So this is kind of why I wanted to talk to you guys before that. Like, hey, let's talk about narrative in those, in the, at that level. Uh, what's also interesting is, you know, like, so why, why 24, right? Why did 24 end up being our sweet spot? We've tried 18, we've tried 12, you know, uh, uh, and is that, it, those are under right. under the level, right? So somehow 24 is fast enough that right. we can not think of, like it's got that, that sweet spot, right, that works for us. And, and somehow we've, we've, we've stuck with it. I don't know why we ended up on that. It's interesting. Yeah, I'm not sure whether, where, I'm not sure if there's a, uh, just a standard boring technical explanation for it, but it does feel like that's the tipping point where we accept this, as real enough that it no, that the perception of um, uh, you know that you buy into it as uh, continual motion uh, mm -hmm. enough that you buy into the dream that it's producing, and then you get the best of both worlds. Um, so, but like there's past a certain point, it's like there's a like there's a con go ahead. Go ahead. There, there, I mean, it's interesting. If you, there's all these different stories of why we ended up with different frame rates, different di different stories of why we ended up with different frame rates. So he, l l let me let me let me walk you through it because this, I, I I've actually studied this, and I think it's really interesting how we arbitrarily mm -hmm. landed on these numbers, right? So we were at 24 frames for for film for a long time, and I I believe that 24 frames had to do something. You know, obviously started with. You had to auto wind the film or, or, or run it by hand, right. and so there's so there's a there's a rate there's a rate of the size of the canisters yeah, or something totally that happened that ended up being 24 frames, and it also is also very divisible, right? Because you can do like 12 frames, six frames, three frames, whatever. You can divide it yeah. pretty easily under 24. Uh, but then when TV started to happen, right? It was uh, at 30 frames a second, and the reason 30 frames a second happened is because uh, uh, the uh, we had uh, AC power alternate current, and uh, the rest of the world 
had 50 hertz, uh, 50 uh, hertz power, and we have 60 hertz power in the United States. And the reason we have 60 hertz power as opposed to 50 hertz oh, is that we felt somehow it was closer to the human heart rate or something weird like that, that we decided we we're going to go 60 hertz, which is weird because <laughs> sure. it's 60, not like per second, but whatever. It doesn't matter. Like, we went with 60, and the rest of the world went with 50. But also in, in Japan, right? Mm, right? Yes, Japan, I think, is also Japan, think. 60 hertz as well. So anyway, 60 hertz is what the, we the, built the, them. So what we made our, our power, our, 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 our AC power, and the rest of the world went with 50. So when TV came around, they decided, okay, well, when you're broadcasting, you have to be a multiple of, of that, so for the U.S., we went with 30 frames a second because it was a multiple of 60. And then that became uh, our, 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 what we broadcast. And by the way, I'm prefacing this as black and white, and I'm going to explain why. Mm-hmm. And then um, uh, in, in Europe, they went with 25 because they were at 50 hertz, right? So they went with 25, which was right. very close to uh, 24, 24, 25, right? Um, then in the United States, when we started to invent color uh, television, uh, they had to uh, broadcast. It goes, you know, the wavelengths are, uh, you know, uh, the frequencies uh, traveling through through space, whatever. And they started broadcasting in color. But the problem was uh, they had to broadcast in color and in black and white at the same time because certain people had black and white TVs and other people had color TVs. And you, they had to receive different mm-hmm. wavelengths depending on what they're doing. So what they did is they, they notched it down slightly for color TV by one hundredth of a, a, of a, like a, a wavelength which basically end up being that in the U for color, they basically are delivering at uh, uh, 30 frames a second, but they're dropping every hundredth or thousandth, thousandth frame. That's what it is. Every thousandth frame, right? So they drop every thousandth frame. So that's why it's called 30 frame drop frame in order to get the frequency to be slightly different from black and white, which is why NTSC, is actually not 30 frames a second, but actually 29.97. 29.5 or whatever it's, yeah, that's it. 29.97. That's wild. Right. right? That's wild. So you take three, you take three yeah. frames away for every thousandth frame, or whatever the, the math is, ends up being. It's like you drop every thousandth frame, I believe is what it is, um, which is cr- <laughs> So it doesn't weird. mess with your black and white signal. <laughs> that, and that is all about the frequency. In a, so this is so how we, we ended up all these weird numbers. <laughs> When you're sitting there, it's like, why is it at 59.9 blah, right. blah, 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 blah frames instead of just 60 frames a second? That's why. <laughs> that's why. Uh, anyway, yeah, that's I'm curious. Like, I'm really curious. Like, yeah, what Doug thinks about all this stuff. Yeah, I agree. And because I, I think that like there's a like there's the technical aspect is is fascinating, but for me it's the like the the uh, trying to be cutting edge and artistic. Uh, within that, within those brackets, is uh, is the most fascinating part to me about his story because that's what he wants to try to do. He's obviously an artist, and, but he's also sort of like technologically driven simultaneously. And the uh, because like you have like I mean we've talked about this before like the the 
the context created by a technology controls how the content how the, the content of the story works you know and so like like the easiest way to explain that is if you're writing for radio right if you're writing a story for radio you have a certain set of limitations that you have to overcome uh, story-wise and right. everyone just sort of gets used to it that people in radio stories do a lot of weird explanation that nobody does in real life and you get sort of so used to it that you don't notice that that's not real anymore. You know, you just get accustomed to it. Um, mm. And there's a certain uh, and with film, uh, with uh, with cinema, like like when you showed movies in movie theaters, you could rely a lot more on actual visual storytelling um, than uh, than ever before. Uh, because like here, you just show uh, like here's a, you know intercontextualized pictures. And, you, and a story appears in your head. But when television tried to keep up with film, television wasn't a good enough technology yet. Uh, so they basically kept the radio format. It was a radio that was augmented by a shitty picture. And so television developed uh, stylistically along the lines of continuing the idea of radio, which is like it's talk-based. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a theater-based thing. It's not a visual... Uh, juxtaposition yeah. medium. It's a commercial delivery medium. And come right. out. My father used to do commercials in the mid fifties on television. Right, right. And and so you structure things around the commercial breaks you have to have. You know, like and you have act structures that work around that. For instance, like you're saying. And and um, and, it was and that influence. Yeah, and then that influence. Just like what like we have twenty nine nine seven uh, frame rate today. Even though there is no more interference with black and white signal. Like that's not an issue. We but we still have the tech. The technology lingers on, right? And that is also true with storytelling, because like up until very recently, um, with streaming, um, TV has held on to its radio style um, uh, storytelling motif of just like, don't give me so much of the of the picture based stuff. Give me lots and lots of big monologues and and pictures of people talking at me. And um, and meanwhile, cinema has gone on to uh, perfect its uh, inter uh, intercut storytelling, which leans much more on visuals than than talking. And now, when you bring in a new technology like HFR, it requires a new transition of storytelling. And uh, and I think that it's it's am it's amazing to me that Trumbull was in the forefront of that in 1980, and here's Ang Lee still trying to figure it out, you know, 40 years later or whatever. And, uh, 35. Actually, he was, he, he was he was actually thinking about HFR in uh, uh, during uh, 2001. Right. Uh, honestly, yeah. yeah. I mean, he was talking he was about doing the it with, stuff. with yeah. Kubrick. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. And the thing is, like, this, uh, like it's so it's so it's so difficult for audiences to adapt to new stuff. Like, it's much more easy. They much more because, easily adapt to new. Go ahead. Is it because they saw cinema not as this continuation of theater, but that kind of, you know, what we're starting to see with VR, that interactive and the narrative is right. partly of right. being immersed in it. It's as big a jump as that, sure. That's what I think. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. You know, because I think that, like, so, like, people are really resistant. Like, they're resistant to technological change a little bit, but they're highly resistant to the method of storytelling changing. And because, like, you look at, like, um, now, there's no surprise to people that are fans of the podcast, but my favorite filmmaker probably ever is Michael Mann. And uh, and his movie, one of his movies that everyone hates but I love, is called Public Enemies. And it was uh, it's Johnny Depp and it, uh, it's a yeah, gangster movie it's set in the 30s. And 
it was just re-released. Oh, not re-released, but it was just on Netflix. They put it up on Netflix like two two weeks ago, right? And everyone's home quarantine, and it shot to number one, right? Because and everyone suddenly there was a big a uh, bunch of reevaluation um, notices and like articles that came up saying, "Oh shit, this movie's really good. How do we miss this?" And you go back to the reviews and you know whatever it came out two thousand. You know, eight or whatever it was, and everyone thought it was terrible. It looked terrible. It was a stupid movie. It was ugly, and all this stuff. And what was wrong with it is that Michael Mann was shooting a movie that took place in the '30s with um, video cameras, and people couldn't yeah. handle it. Like they simply can't handle it, and they were just like, "That's the wrong story to be telling with this technology." And so they said, "This is a shitty." Movie. Even the the movie is obviously extremely good now, and like the like it has incredible action scenes. It looks fantastic. You're we're used to things looking like high definition video. So Is now it because of video games, I think so. I definitely think so. I think it's a great point. I mean, because like people took that long to adapt to that style of storytelling. Michael Mann did it. When he did it, everyone thought it looked like shit, right? And what he was, what he's saying with it is like, I mean, the movie goes out of its way to to make the comparison because like. He's saying there's a difference between the, the romance of storytelling and the reality of storytelling as represented by the reality of video versus the romance of film. And in the end of the movie, Depp goes, you know, Dillinger, goes to the theater, like goes to see a, 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 a Clark Gable movie, right? And a friend of mine, uh, Dave Bryant, worked on the shot where uh, he is, it cuts to Johnny Depp watching Gable. And, uh, and Mann was really insistent. He's like, when he looks at the screen, this has got to be actual film we're watching. This has got to be 24 frames per second film matted into, um, you know, uh, high-definition video. And you need to be able to feel that it needs to look real, but it needs to be able to feel the difference of the romance between these two things. And I thought it was just like, that's an incredible thing to do in a film, to use these two technologies at war with each other to show the transition between these eras of filmmaking, and then the subject of the movie is a transition of an era of, gang, of bank robbers to the modern era, right? And that's how he sees himself, you know, like uh, Michael Mann sees himself as the filmmaking Dillinger, right? And it's his last days. And I think that that's the kind of thing that Trumbull needs to look for. Well, you know? okay, so, so uh, I'm going gonna, gonna to say one, one, one thing. Uh, and then actually we need to take a break because I want to try to see if we can solve our, I have seemed to be the person in super latency these days. Um, uh, but, uh, so, so Doug showed a demo of one of his Maji things. And one of the things he showed was a, a something that was playing at 240 Hertz. And it, when you're looking at it projected and you see something that's playing at 240 Hertz, um, it looks like a window into reality, which right. can can have a little bit of a weird feeling to it. And within that world, there was a TV that was playing, right? Mm. Or, or a TV, and the TV was playing at 24 hertz. And what's interesting wow. about it is actually pretty easy for them to do that because all they have to do is just play that TV at 24 hertz 
and then every 10th frame would playing you know it just works right the frames right. just work that way and Blend so the, the right tv now. looked like a tv but everything else looked way more real because there was a contradiction <laughs> between so these good. two things right, <laughs> right. so, so I, I mean and it was just a basically it was a demo to show you mm. what it looks like and it's like you see there's a this is so real that the tv looks like a tv and then you don't even right. realize you're like they're not you know it's not the same thing like the tv right. looks like a t it was very very weird um right. the demo itself was not great honestly speaking mm -hmm. because the content wasn't great he was trying to prove a point so hard technologically speaking that he kind of missed the point a little bit brainstorm had all the makings of that point in the same right. way that he was making, although he was more limited on Brainstorm than he was on the other ones, right? Because on Brainstorm, he couldn't go to 240 frames. He couldn't right. do that, that, that whole trick inside a trick, right? And he couldn't right. finish his film. So, yep. but the beginning of Brainstorm, you look at that and you're like, uh, I didn't know a movie like this was possible. Like, like yep. it's a very unusual and amazing film. So yep. Um, yep. I was really amazed by it. Uh, yeah. it, 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 it's sad when you get to the end and you have this stupid goofy robot stuff that it doesn't get there quite away. It, he right. does a really good attempt, but I mean, it's, it feels salvage. Yeah, it just doesn't it does land. You know, it's, 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 it's one of these things that's just like the, if you're gonna, if you're gonna have a bad part of the movie, you want the bad part in the beginning, because then if you end the movie well, everyone forgets about the bad stuff. Right. But if you end the movie badly, then you can't remember the good stuff. And watching Brainstorm, I was like, Oh shit! Most of this movie is good stuff. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, it's really it's good. So, it's so so good, and uh, and they really it's it's only that you know it doesn't quite stick the landing that it ends up feeling a little B minus when uh, most of the thing is an A, and uh, yeah. and really really interesting. You know, it's certainly just technologically interesting, and how he makes a metaphor out of that technology is like I wish all filmmakers thought like he did when he was making that movie because that it's really, really and it's beautiful because that. the whole film is about technology, right? Yep. Yeah. The whole yeah. film. Wright brothers. The, the yeah. Wright brothers, first in flight, uh, first to record this, first, to, and he's inspired by it. He's constantly referencing the Wright brothers. He's constantly going yeah. to see them, uh, and and. Well, I also really know. like the fact that it really explores the the office park style of living that you that you are in when you're in a company like that. Like that's where I yeah. spent my time in the '90s. You know, it's just like holy shit. This is like when I was working in video games. And I was part of like an office park just like this it's really yeah. really wacko you know and like he uh, uh like he captures a, a mindset uh, uh and a and a particular uh, uh lifestyle for walking that i was i found extremely familiar uh and yeah. really and really like he communicated it very well and the, the other thing that was interesting was like he he used he he wasn't he knows the technology. Clearly, he understands technology. Clearly, he understands what's going on because, even in the in the scene where like we can't get the, the the thing small enough because we have that that we have to involve all this uh, you know uh, uh, redundancy to get it to get it right, and it's like we need a new chip, uh, but the chip has to be cooled to such an extreme level because of this. It's like oh, this is the latest thing from our from our partners, is 
uh, room temperature superconductors, right? Which right. in 1981 was like no, it's like, mind blowing. That was pe <laughs> very people, very few people knew what that meant, right? right. It was like right. we need a superconductor basically to get the, the processing power. He was they're absolutely right. Like if you need super high processing power to develop the stuff, then that's how it works. So, right. like he really thought about all of this technology uh, and how it could work. And what's also funny uh, is the tape. The tape they used yeah. looks so cool. Look, the, oh, yeah. It's basically this this iridescent uh, tape that they used to do Ribbon, the uh, right. to to record uh, all the, the the because it's basically a linear tape that would record all of the the brain waves. Right. But it it was uh, some holographic kind of texture a, to it. Yeah. I'll yeah, be honest with you. It reminded me of uh, there was a place uh, on Canal Street, New York where I would go by Pearl Paint, because when I was at grad school for design... Oh, I know Pearl Paint, yeah. Theater design, they closed Pearl, it was heartbreaking. And there was, a, on Canal Street, were all these stores where they had Lucite and plastic, and all this stuff, these Chinese-owned businesses where it's all plastic and fibers and, you know, chips and all this cool stuff. And, you know, as a designer, you go in there like, oh my God, so when I saw that bandy stuff, I was like, oh, it's kind of like those shops. Where you're like, what do they use this for? And it, it's almost right. like they went there and grabbed all this cool crap. So apparently they grabbed they grabbed that tape and it was it was made by 3M. Crazy. But it it was even more gaudy than that. So in order <laughs> to a sparkly not laser like rainbow <laughs> outrageously gaudy, they uh, they oh. think they they sandblasted it so that it would be a little less gaudy or so, something it's like so that. So crazy, because I mean, it really it, does. It, it has that yeah. it has that sort of like hologram looking stuff. It makes it very believable that the recording. Oh yeah, deep especially stuff in the eighties, something like Great that problem. looked Great totally problem. legit. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, it was a. No, it, it had that holographic totally look to it. The it's graphics like, this were is pretty damn future. Good. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. The, the the graphics in screen graphics were pretty good too. Yeah. Oh yeah, actually, I was going to say like the opening where they're when he's trying to align the uh, mechanism with his mind, right? The graphics for that. Like I thought, I was like, was I watching like some kind of director's cut where they just redid the effects? But no, it's the original effects. So I was like, that looks really. It's like that's like Saul Bass level graphic design executed oh, yeah. really well. It was really great. Mm -hmm. I was quite, I was quite surprised. It like, looked straight cool up like this brand it. new stuff. Yeah, and it was really, really great. And that military jet kind of thing was cool. No, oh, yeah, that eighties looking uh, thing. Yeah, that looked like uh, the cover of like a William Gibson novel. It was super cool. That's a real yeah. thing. Yeah, Northrop Grumman, yeah, I think it was. Yeah. So good. That. Yeah. But that was right, cool. I'll, I'll be right back. You guys keep talking about Northrop Grumman. Right. Yeah, that's all good on Northrop Grumman. How about you, Chris? Um, oh, how about you, Eric? I'm sorry, Eric's leaving. No, Eric's, Eric's staying. I'm, a, I'm looking at I'm my phone. Insulted. There it is. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm staring at the ceiling while talking to my phone. Um, yeah, there was a lot of beautiful stuff in that film. I just think, honestly, it's... It, he, he got the, the tragedy kind of swelled it yeah, all. Yeah, that's up. just some bad luck, man. That's really, really lousy. Yeah, because like and, I, you know, like it's so like when you see it's so rare to see a visionary movie to begin with, but when you see a visionary movie that's kind of like kind of broken, <laughs> you're like, oh no, <laughs> they really had a shot there. Yeah, they had a shot. Why do you yeah. think Chris Walken wasn't a leading man after that? Uh, well, I don't know what emotionally he was going through, um, but like I mean, I, I feel like he was in one or two. 
But he plays a backup guy. He plays a character after that. Like, I think he definitely leans heavily on his his walkingness past a certain point. Yeah, and he became. You think that's an people. easy out? Like Bill yeah, well, Murray, it certainly is. Just plays Bill. Yeah, just play, just play Bill. You know, and I think that like there's a, like he's he's got such a natural charm. Like you don't really have to try. You can just be yourself and be funny. Um, but it wasn't until yeah, it's pretty much not up until Pulp Fiction when he really comes back and owns the screen again when he does True Romance. Oh, in True Romance, that's right. No, well, that's that's true. Yeah, Which when he does when he does Pulp. that speech. Another Tarantino script, uh, the uh, but yeah, he's he's got a great setup in that one, and then he and then Pulp Fiction really dials it in, and then and then at least, he, at least then he at least settles into being the grand old man of comedy, you know, and it's nice. But there was a track, you know, like late seventies, early eighties, when you're like, he's gonna be, a like a real big star, you know, like uh, like you know, like Brando, like like uh, De Niro, uh, and. Uh, and instead, he sort of takes his foot off the gas around that same period. I think, like, because he, he does the Dead Zone, and Dead Zone's pretty great. That's around the same period. Um, and uh, he's very, very powerful in that, in the Cronenberg movie. And he does maybe what else? Talking about walking? Oh, I'm sorry. I just James yeah. Bond? Oh, yeah. He does, uh, what is that? View to uh, Kill? View to a Kill. Whole, yeah, when he, did he do? Okay, well, yeah, but those are all secondary characters, right? So yeah, well, when Dead Zone's not a secondary character. De- Dead Zone is probably his actual last. I, mean, I think Dead Zone's almost the same, maybe not, maybe the same year as this. When is Dogs of War? Because he also was a, a That's main character 81. in Dogs of War. Yeah, yeah okay. I think eighty one. Um, but if uh, if this came out in eighty two or eighty three, then uh, I would say that like that this and Dead Zone are probably his last hurrah as, as a leading man. Dead Zone is fantastic. Dead Zone's another great one. Um, but yeah, no, he uh, he definitely backs off because I mean, like he's he's you know he's all over the place in like seventy eight through eighty two. Seventy five. Seventy yeah, seventy five. Next yeah. stop, Grand Village. Yeah, or, or he's showing up in uh, you know uh, what do you call it the uh, the uh, um, the Western um, uh, by uh, Michael Cimino. Days of Heaven. And he plays the Des, uh, no, not Days of Heaven, rather. Uh, there's Heaven's Gate. Alex. Heaven's Gate. And, Heaven's uh, Gate. and he's, yeah, he's got, he's got Annie Hall. Shows up in that, which is, and he's so sterile. Oh, <laughs> So good. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm due back on the planet Earth thing. But, uh, but yeah, after that, he just dips out. And I, I think you might be right that it may have been whatever happened. Yep. Uh, uh, you know, out in Catalina that, uh, that, that, that took him off the map for a little while. That's too bad. He's, he's really wonderful. He's a he's a character that I don't quite understand, but I love the <laughs> fact that the, there's a world where he exists. Oh, it's incredible! And I love it. I mean, like I still love seeing him. You know, like when he does, his, he did a little, little little video of preparing a chicken, you know, to cook. I thought that was it, lovely. Uh, it's uh, yeah, chicken, <laughs> chicken and orange, chicken and pears is actually what <laughs> chicken it is. Chicken and pears. That's perfect. Yeah, great. I think yeah. it, I'm, I'm actually going to test this. If you if you go to, I'm going to go to Google and see if I can look it up. I think if you go, um, Christopher Walken, chicken, uh, chicken and pear, yeah, chicken and pears, Christopher Walken. Just look it up, Christopher Walken, chicken and pears, and it's basically a three-minute video of him giving you a recipe on how to cook chicken and pears. Yeah, I love it. 
Love it. And you're looking at it like just waiting for him to just deliver you a speech from, uh, you know, uh, some Tarantino film or something. (laughs) But no, he's just showing you how to cook chicken in Paris. It's quite beautiful. Um, I remember another video that he that he did. He was this was back when John Stewart was on the Daily Show, and oh, yeah. Walken was a guest on it, and he was wonderful and charming. But oh, yeah. just because he is Walken and talks like Walken, right? I think John Stewart couldn't handle it. Like he was like, <laughs> uh, nobody does a better Walken than Walken. Right, and then he was, and he was basically like, "Yeah, you know, I'm a New Yorker. You're a New Yorker. We should hang out. You know, you should come to my house. I'll hang make you some. I'll make you some fish." Like he said it just like that, but it so sounded good. like I'm gonna whack you. Like, but it, no, it, it wasn't. It was like, "I'll make you some fish. It'd be great." You know, like he he wanted to cook John Stewart some fish for 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 dinner, and they'd have dinner together at his house. And that's literally what he was asking, but John Stewart's like, I can't digest this information. Like his yeah, face was impossible. like, uh, 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 <laughs> you know, it was really funny, really funny. <laughs> Hysterical. Yeah, no. Well, I mean, and of course, like, there's the, the prime walking comeback for me, uh, well, you know, over the past, you know, what, 10, 15 years is, uh, the, uh, the video that Spike Jones directed. Yeah. Uh, Boy Slim. Uh, Fat Boy Slim. He's and that was the not a dude. That is longer than ten years ago. I bet you it yeah. was fifteen years ago. Fifteen years yeah. ago, yeah. What a magical piece of work that is. Oh, yeah, God. yeah. Uh, Fat Boy Slim. Uh, uh, so he's the music video. So it's, it was one of a. It kind of looks like a one take film shot, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. And he's in a hotel lobby and he's dancing. Now Walken was a theater actor. Am I right, Eric? He was a dancer. Mm-hmm. He's a dancer. Dancer. Yeah, absolutely. He was a dancer, uh, and he was, you know, off off Broadway. But I think he was a dancer, dancer at a club too. So he has right. dancing experience. Well, if you um, see the movie uh, Pennies from Heaven, you'll see a fantastic he's great. sequence with him. I haven't really seen really Pennies in Heaven in years, dude. Do you remember that though? That's a good. It's a really sad, weird movie, but I really like it. It's a that. sad, weird movie. So the and thing that's interesting was... about Walken, I want to ask you guys this as 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 as, as film buffs. He's obviously a, a fabulous character, and I I think he's a really good actor. Mm-hmm. But his walkingness makes him the person. Like, is he a character actor? Like, you know what I'm trying well, to say? It's sort of hard to say because, like, he doesn't really play anybody outside of himself. Like, he plays versions of himself. Right. Uh, so right. that's that would point towards him being essentially a movie star because that's what movie stars do. Um, uh, they like they sell a single product, and that product is them. them. And uh, but he is so weird that it's hard to imagine him uh, as a leading man the way he was headed. Brainstorm years, right? You know, and and, uh, and you know, like can you like Christopher Walken in Raiders of the Lost Ark doesn't play very well. <laughs> like that's extremely weird. Don't right, look at right. it, Marion. Don't don't look at it. <laughs> you know. So I think that right. like. Yeah, because like the you know you get someone like uh, Clooney or you get uh, you know old school guys like uh, you know uh, uh, what's his name um, from Bringing Up Baby, uh, 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 you know uh, North by Northwest. What's his name? The greatest actors ever, Cary Grant. Cary Grant, like Cary Grant only ever did Cary Grant. You yeah, know? and you pay because you want to see Cary Grant. 
but he is charming as hell, you know, with his, uh, but that, uh, you know, that, uh, what's it? Uh, James Mason. James, <laughs> James Mason. James Mason, Harvey Keitel. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, like, James Mason, uh, like, he always, James Mason is a, is a great example of the, the, the walking problem. Like, James Mason can only be James Mason, or could only be James Mason. Here's a question. So here we yeah. go to the films to see characters which are basically caricatures that we familiarize ourselves with and we're yes. used to. But yeah. then if that's the fantasy you love, why do we care about frame rates? Stick with 24. If we're going there to see what we want to see and that person represents something to us, like Cary Grant does to me or James Mason, I don't want to see him as a reality. I want to see him as that fabrication my mind perceives him as. Right. I want to go good. see Christopher Walken. I don't want to go see 120 frames. I don't want to see real life. <laughs> I want to see the fantasy that Hollywood is presenting. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, like, you have I think a that, valid like, point there, my friend. I think that film will always be film. I mean, like in what I mean by film. Yes, but if you're directing your characters, film, right. if you're directing your characters to be that Hollywood to be that character that's familiar, but yet you're still dicking around with frame rates. You have a, you have two different themes going on, which could be confusing. Well, I totally agree with you. But I mean, like, well, the, well, I guess what I'm arguing for is like, don't try to make a movie the way you usually make movies if you're using HFR. Like, if that's like it's the same way we would talk about v, VR. Like, VR isn't movies. <laughs> it's not movies. Don't try to make movies and don't Actually, try to make movies the way you make movies. Probably the big you know. mistake was using Natalie Wood because she's classic old Hollywood. She's classic and old it, school, right? Yeah, it's almost like they needed they needed an actress that was young, new, or right. somebody different that you don't know, and right. um, because he was relatively, I mean, he was known and he won an Oscar at that time. But he's but new still, and still like she represents something that you go to the theater like Cary Grant. You just expect she's twenty four frames a second and he's HFR. Yes, and, that, and the thing is, like that could work. They could make that. That's the metaphor they were using for the rest of the movie. That may have been the story. That that may have been part of the story, right? Because she yeah, was she's, still she's stuck cool. in a world, and he's like moved on and gone to his next world, right? Right, right. And like I think that there's a, there's definitely a metaphor there that he was that Trumbull was trying to get at. And he's uh-huh. also trying to introduce her to the new world, right? He's trying to hold her hand and bringing it towards right. her to the new world. Right. Right. And, um, yes. So I think you're right, Eric. I think that there's like there, there's like that difference could be exploited uh, for the good of the story, you know, and that could be the transitional film, and it should have been the transitional film with Frankenstein. Um, but it's so rare to have for people to even take the shot at making a movie like this. But I haven't seen anything like it since. So only Ang Lee has tried to do this with like Billy Lynn's Halftime Walk. And, yeah, uh, but I didn't. Come in mind. Uh... You didn't what, Chris? Don't be angry. Uh, there's uh, the angry. Angry is uh, angry. Got too mainstreamy, to me. Sure, sure. You know, what I mean, like Doug. Doug was was. I mean, and then when I said he's an independent filmmaker, like he's ex- still he's, he's indie, experimenting, baby. right? Yeah. And he's experimenting Absolutely. on all aspects of filmmaking, not just to technology. Now he is very good at technology. And then sometimes fall short. I've I've seen him fall short on some of the stuff I've seen in terms of story. And there, he's doing he does that because he's trying. But know. he has he he thinks about all the things that we brought up tonight. He mm-hmm. thinks about like how am I going to separate this the 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 
the third person world from the first person, uh, first per the third person versus first person, right? How am I going to think about um, uh, angles, angles of camera? First of all, the fisheye lens was a beautiful fisheye lens. You, I oh, rarely see a fisheye lens that looks that good on film. So good, so crisp. It was a very, very good fisheye lens because yeah, fisheye lenses bad. are usually really shitty. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. I mean, like it's so fucking vivid and so and so clean. It, you rarely see anything like that. I mean, that's like Wes Anderson level fisheye lens. <laughs> right. Used used for good <laughs> instead of for. Yeah, you know. and and also very first person, which was also very interesting as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. How do you think I, they did that shot where you're going down the highway? And then you go over the cliff. Oh, in the in the in the the the, the oh right. That was a good shot. It was a good time. shot. I don't know how they did that. In my I can ask you. Must have been cliff shot. And shots. then it's a really? copter shot where they're riding low, and then they just continue to fly over the yeah uh, fly over the edge. But they're flying about ten feet off the ground. Yeah, cool. But, but great gag though. Great, great gag. They didn't have drones back then. Yeah, drones were. It wasn't a drone. Nope. <laughs> um, yeah, there was a lot of cool things about this film. I um, Have you seen it before, Eric? Years and years and years ago, but I don't recall much of it. And um, it's only now that I was like, oh, I could see what he was trying to do, technically. Right. Yeah. And I just, I think, as I was saying while you were um, taking a break or avoiding us, um, what I I felt like it's just bad luck. I think the whole death was tragic, and it just yeah. sucked everybody under. And then once you get Bond companies and whatever fighting, it stinks. So yeah, it's completion um, Bond finished films. Uh -oh. His whole message was screwed <laughs> over, and that's the tragedy because he's yeah. such a brilliant guy. You know, what was interesting to me is that I watched this film obviously for this, um, but then. I've been trying to, I've been trying to like just throw some films out, you know, as as we all do when we're stuck at home with uh, isolation, etc. And my kids can't move around as much as they'd like to, so I'm trying to, you know, uh, watch some things. And we wound up, uh, uh, Brady and I end up watching The Abyss. Oh yeah, and I hadn't seen it in a long time. Right. And it was interesting to put The Abyss against uh, this movie because Abyss. 1989. This was 1981, right? So this is this is there's a there's a lot of technology to change between these two films. Mm -hmm. um, the problem I had with the Abyss is that I, after watching it and I watched it and it's it's a it's a good film, but it was still tainted by me having watched the director's cut, which was a, such a terrible version of this film, of of the Abyss. Yeah. So it yep. kind of like I knew. Like all the missing pieces were like filled in by all like I like I had too much information. Like I wish I'd never seen a director's cut because it kind of ruined the abyss forever. But, uh, and I, yeah, I've talked about it before. Like my problem with the abyss is that I don't know why there are aliens in that movie. Like I love the rest of the movie, and I don't know why there are aliens in it. Like right. they don't, they don't, they do not connect thematically to the core of the story for me they do if in the undirector's cut like in the undirector's cut there's there there's a level of mystery to them that kind of makes it interesting and weird and it works um but it when you involve everything else that they're trying to do in uh ugh, it's terrible 
then what's also interesting, and you, uh, Eric, you brought up the optical printing stuff. Um, the optical printing in uh, Brainstorm was far superior than the Abyss. The Abyss mm-hmm. was looks ha- like half-ass amateur hour compared to Brainstorm in terms of the yeah, optical Brainstorm. printing stuff. Beautiful, and that is just goes to show you. And this is like you know eight years later, right? So way, way, uh, way better technology had been developed in that time. And it's, I, I just think that Doug Trumbull was way better at that stuff, like really new. And James Cameron, everyone, you can you can talk about how amazing James Cameron is. He's he is. in terms of really think and being a perfectionist about visual effects. I don't think uh, he can light a candle to no. to to, no, he's to, not to Trumbull. He's not the same nope. guy as Trumbull is sure. And the thing is, I mean, like I think that, like I I love uh, many of Cameron's movies, and I think that he is an incredible uh, structuralist and awesome and he's an adventure storyteller and all that stuff is fantastic. He is a better filmmaker when he has no money at all, and the more money he has, or at least when he's fighting Cameron? against the budget. When he's fighting with the budget, when the fuck did Cameron even... never have money? He, like, he always has infinite amount of money Terminator. in a hose coming towards him at all time. Yeah, but like, well, two things. One, he didn't he didn't have a lot of money making Terminator, which is still like my. I think that is the like. The, there may be other movies of his that I like more, but I think that is his best film. Like, it's so tight and so intense um, because he is fighting against how much money he has. And I think that that, ha- that happens on Aliens, which he's fighting against. He's, he's trying to save money anywhere he can. So he's making an incredibly tight, fast movie. And bizarrely, for me anyway, like it, uh, that's what happens on Titanic. Because like he's, making, he's, you know, he's spending $200 million, but that's a $350 million looking movie. Yeah. And, it, and, and it really is incredibly tight and driving all the time. As corny, as ridiculous as it is, like it really pushes fast. Um, but when you get to Avatar, which I like, or The Abyss, which I like, like, The Abyss is coming off of Aliens, which he made a lot of money on and, and got a lot of claim for. The Abyss is a little bit uh, slack, and he's got all the stuff in there that doesn't need to be there, and then he adds more with the director's cut, which makes it worse. And, uh, and then with um, Avatar, Avatar is actually a pretty good movie, um, but it, it feels too, uh, you know, thought through. And it doesn't have the indie drive that he used to have, where Trumbull's movies always have that. <laughs> like, Trumbull is always pushing against uh, the limitations, and you always feel him doing that with the movies that he works on, or the two movies that he directed. Like, he's like, I'm going right. to make this fucking thing work somehow. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that's why, that's why at 80, whatever it is, 80 years old now, it's like, I, it doesn't surprise me. Like, that guy is made out of motivation. Like he's he's fighting the fight all the time. I I I'd like to think that he has, uh, he's a, you know, a, got something in him that's still having fun. Absolutely. <laughs> I I I I feel when I'm, I when I when I met him the few times that I met him. I mean, I've met him several times, but he always feels like he has to prove like himself a little bit like and that seems ridiculous because it's fucking doug trumbull right but he's feeling like i'm somehow that this movie kind of ruined hollywood for him in a lot of ways and that can happen 
right? A lot of people just said, fuck it and don't move on. And I think, honestly speaking, when I read about the fact that uh, uh, Walken didn't do a leading role after this, I can sense that it really affected not just Trumbull, it affected everyone, including Walken. So uh, I'm just... I just wish we could have gotten more great stuff out of Trumbull. Uh, and you think it because he's so brilliant that he likes to control everything and he couldn't control that. He was like, screw it. Yeah. Well, because James, isn't Cameron, it the irony it. of this movie? Because like, like the whole movie is about death and then that mm-hmm. what's, that's what fucking killed the movie. Right. And, right. and, and it's sad and I feel, hmm, it's so sad. Uh, it killed him. It killed everything. And uh, I wished, I wished there was more. I wished, I wished the the imagery. You know, obviously he he worked very well with 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 uh, with uh, uh, Kubrick. Obviously, right? Two thousand one right. would not have been as good without Trumbull, for sure. No, oh, it's spectacular. It, like those are still some of the best special effects I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, like it, and they still hold so up today, perfectly. and it's insane. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. Like, and he's also very trick. smart. Like the whole way, like you know, for example, uh, the way that they did the, you know, the 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 pen trick, you know, oh, when yeah. he's yeah. Z- right. zero gravity. You you guys know how they did that, right? Yeah, they mount this on glass, you know, yeah. and then they just move a big Fucking glass. Brilliant. <laughs> That's it. Why? Why make it complicated? Do it like that. It's genius. It's just genius, right? You know, or like the uh, like. There's there's gags in that movie that like that are just essentially uh, uh, like uh, you know spaceships over black with a flare, you know, uh, interrupting the shot, and it, because it's so well composed and the light is so natural, it never even occurs to you that you're just looking at a model on a black floor. Like the context is so perfect and it looks so believable that uh, you don't need anything else. Like it's like, yeah. and I feel like that VFX today. Like there's obviously lots of great VFX today, but like the that the the biggest error they make is trying too hard to convince me that it's real. Like don't yes. overstuff the chicken, man, and just like do yes. what you need to do. You know, and that's all. That's all you need to do. Just get me there, and don't don't gild the lily. Well, I also feel like coloring has changed because of video games. Like saturation yeah, I definitely levels. Heard that. Yeah, without a doubt. Which and I don't like so much. Like the, it, yeah, like it becomes there's a, very the, saturated at times. I'm like, because they're trying to make it look like a video game. Well, and like there's a, there's a especially like the sky exposures really bother me now. Like where they, they try to get detail back into bright daylit skies. And I'm yeah. not just like, your eye doesn't see this. Like, <laughs> you know, like, this guy should be silhouetted if I'm looking, if I can see detail in the bright blue sky with a sc- the sun shining behind him, you know. Right. But you can't have, like, you have all this beautiful fill on the guy's face, and you also get to see details in the blue sky. I'm just like, now it looks like a weird postcard. But that's the It's common... called tone mapping, and I hate the shit out of it. I don't but it's so mapping. gross, man. <laughs> it's so gross. Although I will Ugly tell you style. this, and I know I'm, I'm going to pimp my, 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 uh, my company chaos group on this, but uh, uh, the new V-Ray five actually has <laughs> some uh, new filters in terms of tone mapping, uh, which are based on uh, the Academy tone map and all the other stuff. 
And if you basically, you know, as you render stuff and you can apply these filters, it looks so fucking good. I'm That's just awesome. not like it just it just it's like it's got all the contrast and still maintains all the detail. It's yeah. so good. I yeah. love it. I love it. I can't I can't stop using it now for all the renderings that I'm doing. And uh, and it maintains detail. But yes, tone mapping is shitty. Like I actually resist it wholeheartedly. Uh, but if you have the right filter, it looks good. <laughs> and, go. and you know what? You know what's doing it better and better. And this is basically where where what we're doing is is happening is actually uh, cell phones, right? Because it started off with cell phones. That cell phones would 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 basically expose everything, and everything looked That's flat. Right. Be, uh, right. But then it, it got better and better and better to the point where they found a way over time. And this is basically what we're learning, right? We're learning how this works. Is like to expose things correctly for all the other things. And now suddenly like, oh, your cell phone camera looks better than uh, a lot of stuff you would get from a point and shoot camera that, you know, cost, it only does photographs, right? And so how yeah. is that possible? And the reason it's possible is because your cell phone is taking 10 pictures instead of just one and then merging them, merging them all together and getting the best out of every image. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's nifty. It's pretty nifty. <laughs> and then you have people like Steven Soderbergh shooting with those phones and making movies and shaming us all. Well, yeah. <laughs> and he should, right? He should and be he the should. one who's like, That's like right. let, me sh let me show you how uh, how we can get it done, right? Uh, it doesn't... Love yeah. <laughs> I, I love him. I love him. He's, he's the hero. He's one of my hero filmmakers. Even when, I, even when I'm not a big fan of his movies, he is... He has the Trumbull mindset. He's just like, fuck it, I'm just doing it. I don't care. I'm going to figure it out. <laughs> we, we overthink a lot of times. And we over, some, and especially in the visual effects world, uh, you know, mm -hmm. we all work in this area. Part of the problem with the visual effects world, uh, I don't actually I haven't worked in, in, in visual effects uh, visual on effects a studio property. side in, in years. So I can, I can throw this all out there. But a lot of times visual effects companies throw a huge amount of technology into showcasing something just to say this is extremely complicated yeah. you yeah. can't do it without us because we have a lot of brain power to make it done this way and no one else can do this because right. you need us you know uh you know, DD company or ILM company or rhythm and use company or right. method company, whatever, our magic, NPC company, whatever our magic bag we of have beans. some part of the technology <laughs> right. that no one else has. And it's so complicated and weird and it costs millions of dollars. But if you want it to look this way, you're going to yep. have to pay us those millions of dollars to get it done. And that's a big lie, honestly speaking, yeah. because right. Um, or it's maybe it's not a lie. Maybe they've convinced themselves that it's not a lie. But hey, excuse me for one second. I apologize. Oh, go yeah. ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. I apologize. Ahead. Yeah, no. It, rem it reminds me of the um, of the old uh, like the old story from uh, filming uh, Marathon Man with uh, Dustin Hoffman and Lawrence Olivier, mm -hmm. and uh, and Hoffman. They have some scene. Hoffman's supposed to be out of breath, and yeah. so like Hoffman's like running up and down the stairs, running up and down the stairs, running up and down the stairs, running up and down. Finally, he's ready. And he starts the scene, he's sweating and he's out of breath and it's just all this. And then uh, and they film the take and he runs up and down the stairs, runs up and down the stairs. And finally, Olivia is just like, what are you doing? 
and uh, I was like, well, I have to be in character, and I have to, I have to really feel like I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm out of breath. And Olivia says, why don't you just try acting? <laughs> and that's yeah. how I feel about <laughs> that's how I feel about visual effects that oversell me. <laughs> just like, why did you do it the hard way when the easy way would have made me believe you? <laughs> right. And, and I think that sometimes people just don't think that way. And it's like, oh, you know, and it's the, the attitude of like, but I've always done it this way. And yeah, it's like, yeah. do you really need to do it that way? I, I don't know. I love, and I, you know, Dan, I use this example that you and I did constantly as because it was brilliant and it was your idea uh so uh i'm not going to take credit for it but i used it anyway when we <laughs> shot the v-ray irl short and oh, we yeah, shot yeah, that, yeah. that 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 car crash people look right. at that and it looks like a fifty thousand dollar car crash right right <laughs> and it was the cheapest fucking thing we've ever done it was so easy and stupid. It was just, we didn't do any visual effects on it whatsoever. Nothing. Everything Nothing. that happened in that happened yeah. in your mind. Yeah. And the only yeah. thing that was done that was, that made that happen was editing, right? That's right. That's so right. what people should, should realize is like, basically we shot us, we did, uh, Dan and I did this sh short and Dan was directing and I was uh, acting in it. And, uh, there was a we were in a getaway car and it crashes into a telephone pole and it looks like this massive car crash into a telephone pole. <laughs> Everything wants to goes to hell. It's just like bah! right, yeah. and it looks like a very expensive thing. But all of that actually happened in your head because Absolutely. what we actually did is um, we had a perspective of uh, the the two uh, the driver and the passenger going. Ah, in the car, then a shot of a uh, of a telephone pole that was accelerating towards you, and then looks like basically the car crashes in a million pieces, and then everyone is unconscious in the car. Um, but what actually is happening is uh, me and Daniel Buck were in the car going ah. And then what we did shoot was the telephone pole, but we shot the telephone pole moving forward at a very slow rate. Right. And then we used editing to basically accelerate the shot so that we could okay. speed, speed ramp, ramp it up so it looks yep. like you're slamming into the telephone pole. And that's yep. from the perspective of the telephone pole. And then what we did to actually make the contact with the car and make the crash actually happen, which is brilliant, because it it only happens in like a split second in the edit, but it really is effective as making it feel like you smashed into it. Is we filmed the bumper of the we put the bumper of the car against the telephone pole, and then very slowly moved the car backwards mm -hmm. uh, as it's going and exits frame. And so all you do in the edit is you reverse flop that, it. you flop <laughs> yeah, it. Easy. And then you easy, easy. accelerate it, and it looks like yep. you smashed into the telephone pole at full oh, that's speed. Great. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and then you did a lot of things. We put some smoke like, here and there, right. a lot of sound effects, and yeah. it looks like a fifty thousand dollars shot. And it was shot yeah. for like ten cents. Like it was. Yeah, like, and this and like we were we were coming up with that solution like on the spot. Like we didn't even know really how we were going to do it. We we're just like, okay, we got to figure out how to do this. And we're just on on the street down in you know, East LA, and we're just like, right. let's let's figure this out. Let's go figure this out. 
and between uh, what we thought of what and what we shot, and great editing from Chris Stack, like mm-hmm. it 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 just turns into this magic moment where you didn't have to use any VFX at all, and that's just like that's just fucking movie making. <laughs> that's what that is. And yeah. I think that like yeah. you know, if you if, the, if you think like that, if you're doing VFX, um, but you think like a like a filmmaker, then you're going to save time and money, and what you're what you're what you're putting up in the frame is going to be the thing that looks real as opposed to be the thing that looks impressive. Well, and more you importantly, to... you said you said we didn't use visual effects. I I am going to argue that we did. Mm-hmm. That was the visual effects. Yeah, what absolutely. we did right. is actually very smart, efficient visual effects. Right. We figured out how to make it do it. We didn't use CG. <laughs> right? right, because exactly. that. Exactly. But we did very smart visual effects. All we did was we flipped, we we manipulated frames through editing, right? Yeah. And and like, all right, here's how we did. We shot this way, this way, and then we had all the established. Like after the crash, we had a couple of shots under car where we blew a bunch of smoke and had the blinker going. Like it was all, okay. it was perfect. It was like. Yep. It was easy. And, and by the way, those things were shot separate days, different locations, oh, sure. like yeah. B-roll and, you know, uh, whatever. You're always going to come up with better stuff, like, for me, anyway. It's like, when you're under the gun of, like, you just have to figure it out. Like, you're going to trust your gut because you have no other choice. And, uh, and that's where you're going to do your best storytelling thinking. Like, you're just going to come up with an idea... And you're Hello? running through your, like you're gonna run through your you mind's My eye. Apologies. And, oh no, no. And then and then you're gonna make it work. And I was it's teaching my daughter how to skin deer and scrape oh, the nice. meat off the inner hide. Yeah, well, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. No, and tanning is gonna be coming very very useful. Oh, and she'll learn that this summer at the Ted Nugent uh, uh, Tanning School oh, in so Michigan. Nice. Yeah. So, that you know that and a little C plus plus and she's Humphrey. Oh, <laughs> get it. Watch out. <laughs> You know what? I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this. So uh, as uh, I, I mentioned a, a few times, uh, one of the pastimes that I picked up during uh, quarantine is uh, uh, tying flies, yes. right? Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, wanted to, uh, I wanted to tie a fly uh, specifically. Do you have a, a bunch of wind blowing in you? Oh, my God, Eric, you are. I have a wind machine because I'm doing a Clairol spot as we talk. <laughs> yeah, you look like a white person. It doesn't matter what you're saying. I can actually hear the wind machine. I can see it in your hair, but I can actually hear it. Is there any way we can get the wind blowing a little? There oh, you the go. Mic. Uh, yeah. So, uh, uh Anyway, so I, I I wanted to tie a specific kind of fly called a, a the trumbull. No, it's called a clouser minnow. A clouser right? minnow. Clouser sounds minnow. like a German industrial band oh. from the seventies. Clouser yeah, minnow. minnow. So uh, it it's basically supposed to look like a small minnow, like a bait fish, right? And uh, I I, and I has a clouser helmet on. And uh, I, I actually found a video of Bob Clouser teaching you how to tie a Clouser oh, minnow. That's nice. And uh, it's it's kind of a cool cool thing to watch. I, not not that people need to know this, but pretty much what I figured out is like, okay, so in order to tie a proper Clouser minnow, I need this is related to related to what you're talking about, Eric. Hold on, it's all. <laughs> Wouldn't this be great if there was a instructional video guy? Who was a, taught you how to tie flies, but also had Tourette's? 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Motherfucker! Right. Okay, tie this up. <laughs> uh, the, 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 I thought it was funny, guys. <laughs> uh, sure. Dan's laughing, so. <laughs> yeah. uh, welcome the, back to the red tie flies. The uh, 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 the minnow uh, the the closet minnow involves using deer hair is oh, what yeah. you need to use. Oh uh, yeah, okay. but no specifically compassion. from the tail of a buck. Oh, so it's bucktail. So I've actually have a couple of hides of deer uh, deer tails uh, going to be showing up at my house. Really? In a few days. That's yeah. Amazing. How big? Well, just a tail. Oh. Like how big is a deer tail? It sounds like a set for a joke. <laughs> yeah. So they're sure dyed the in different there. colors, which is what I want. So I want one is, is, is white and the other one is olive colored. So I'm going to have a, a a white belly and an olive top. And then I'm going to do the, the whole thing. But yeah. Clouds and minnows, deer tails. I do believe that Clouds this is the only minnows. podcast that covers VFX technology, film filmmaking, and fly tying. <laughs> this is what really puts us over the top. If we don't get bigger numbers out in the like my, uh, in the uh, middle of the country, I'm, I'd be shocked. <laughs> yeah, some river runs the through. New river runs through next. Do, the clouds and minnow conversation is not going to do real real well in the middle of the country. If we talked about nymphs or different kinds of things of that nature, uh, it. it may work okay. a little better. The clouds and minnow is much more coastal because it's much more of a a seagoing fly, so it's right. a coastal fly. It's, it's for surf and different things of that. Do nature. you take your kids fly fishing? No. Well, I mean, take them fishing, but not fly fishing, because fly fishing is is a big pain in the ass to learn, and the patience level has to be extraordinarily high for it. To Do you drink effective. when you fly fish? No, not at all. Why? I just was curious if you had a you know. Suck back a lot of booze while you're doing it. No, quote, fly fishing is a lot of concentration and coordination. So yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's a, it's a finesse. So well for that. <laughs> it, it feels like it might be in alignment with things like playing bocce, which drinking figures in heavily, because it's not important yeah. whether you win at bocce. Fly, listen, fly you fishing can, is you actually can, a focused thing. Yeah, and it can actually be... If you're if you're uncoordinated and fly fishing, you can actually have <laughs> some yourself. seriously yeah. bad problems. Like right. you've got okay, let, I'll put it this way: you've got a very small uh, hook, uh, which is also it's a lure, and it's traveling uh, when you're casting it. It's traveling very close to the speed of sound when you're casting nice. it, right? right. Uh, which is if you go too fast, then you actually break the sound barrier that's caused the whip sounds. Because you can actually whip your fly pretty easily. Um, so you've got this thing flying around at the speed of sound. And if you fuck up, it's going to be embedded in your cheek or your ear or something else. So you have to be pretty lucid when you're tossing you this thing around. Yeah, yeah, you have in Manhattans out there. Yeah, no, sure. yeah, you're not. You're not just throwing back a bunch of beers and casting a, a fly. That would be a bad, bad combination. Right. Yeah. See, like I don't, I don't. I'm not a big fan of literally fishing, but I do like being out on boats while people fish. Like that, yeah. I enjoy. I like lounging. It's basically what I enjoy. 
And well, uh, it I sounds went, like fly fishing is interesting, but it probably takes too much focus for me. Well, like I, I, I want to be out, spacing out. Yeah, I went out uh, last weekend. Honestly speaking, so what I'm what I'm actually picking up now is uh, I'm I'm picking up a, a, a different kind of a fly fishing called um, a surf surf fishing for fly. Uh, surf fishing with a fly, which is actually one of the hardest kinds of uh, fly fishing, right? And right. I, I suck at it uh, because it it just takes practice, right? It's like you know, oh, you're a pretty good you know, uh, uh, you know, guitar player, but now I'm going to teach you how to play the French horn. I'm like, fuck, you know, it's like hard, right? right? So right. Uh, that's basically where I am right now, and it's hard. And I'm doing it, but this last weekend uh, I went out to Malibu and I was on the beach. And first of all, here's here's the thing, right? I'm a, I'm on the beach in Malibu at 6:30 in the morning. That's a pretty fucking great day. Yeah, sure, no doubt. Yeah. beautiful. You know what I mean? Most people don't have that day, so I appreciate that no matter what. Um, right. And so if I can be hanging out in Malibu on the beach at 6:30 in the morning. And the only thing I see are like you know, uh, sea lions and dolphins and 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 gray whales, and I'm casting out into the waves. Then it doesn't even matter if you catch a fish or not, right? Yeah, right. Uh, but but somehow it all clicked this weekend, and it was like there was something about the way I was casting that, after so many times of trying over and over again, that it was just way like i i actually hooked into several fish didn't land them because i hadn't gotten that part of it cor corrected but i had all the other techniques uh, working so i'm getting there i'm getting there. so i made big progress uh and i had a great time and nice. i got to be in malibu at 6 30 in the morning enjoying uh, you know the sea lions and the dolphins and the whales so so you got me sold on that part for sure that's yeah. the part I really like. Yeah, I'm down for so, that. So, and and the thing is, like, if you if you hung, like, I was I was on the beach by myself, and I was doing it. I was just, and I felt very alone. That's what's also really nice about it. You know, if there's if you're going to be alone in isolation, like, do something that need that that requires isolation. Like fly fishing is actually a pretty yeah, good exactly. way to do it. Right. And this 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 woman showed up, and she was I guess just walking the beach. Uh, doing her Instagram photos or whatever she was doing. And uh, she's like, I've never seen anyone fly fishing in my life. And she just like stopped and started talking to me a lot. <laughs> Threw me off completely Hello. because I was like, what the fuck's going on? And like, then I just, you cast <laughs> and you gra and hit her cheek with a lure. With the right and you <laughs> cheek. Oh, God. No, no, no. Uh, you, uh, yeah. Listen, <laughs> if there's one thing that makes sure there's distance between you and other people, it's fly fishing because, like, you, yeah. yeah, you need a good a, 30 a, feet it is between the, you and anyone it's else. It's the perfect social distancing mechanism. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm waving a nine-foot <laughs> rod around, and then I've got, like, 15 feet of, like, fly line fly flailing around as I'm casting. Yeah, it's – it's uh, don't don't get near me. <laughs> yeah, I call this fly the COVID-19. <laughs> that's right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. That's nice. So, that's very nice. Day. I, I I don't know. It's it was a beautiful it's a beautiful experience, and I, I love you know when I'm not doing that, like sitting around tying flies, and like somehow this this has become my my thing that I do to sort of 
do what I have to do. Now, this Eric, is your, I, way, your way of relaxing is my point. It's my way of escaping. Yep. Okay. What are you escaping that. from, Chris? <laughs> well, yeah, I'm escaping from from uh, from from the situation right now because if I if I sat there and I think about everything that's going on with uh, you know the uh, the virus or the the, the, the riots, apart. yeah, I know, uh, and all that stuff. Oh, by the way, uh, uh, I, I and people who listen to the podcast they'll 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 know already, but uh, you guys don't know, but. Uh, as just before we put this podcast out, I actually put out the Death of Stalin podcast. Yes. Um, yes. I haven't actually put it up on a web page yet, so uh, Dan, you're gonna have to wait for that for a second. Yep. No but, problem. Ready uh, whenever you are. I I I decided I was gonna put uh, a note about uh, uh, the situation uh, in terms of the George Floyd uh, and uh, uh, the the Black Lives Matter movement. And nice. I put a moment of silence in our um, in our intro to oh, love you know, it. Yeah, let people right. do something. Totally uh, I didn't think you would object. Because Dan objects, but I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm um, I'm a jerk. It's true, but still, we'll roll with no, it. No, thank you, Chris. <laughs> I think yeah, it's, uh, I think it's really great. It's I really like you know that. what, like I, we need that right now, and I mm -hmm. just don't want to. When did we record that? that? That's a Stalin probably about four four weeks ago, five weeks ago. Is that four weeks ago? Wow. Man, time during the quarantine, she flies. That sounds like a that <laughs> sounds like a talking head song. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Like I I can't believe we're like shit. Like, man, we're 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 almost halfway through June. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I know. Well, get used to it. <laughs> that's all I gotta say. That's my feeling right there. Do you take your family to the beach? No, no. Uh, but we're gonna go to the beach this weekend. That's um, what my wife wants to do, and I was like, I didn't know if that was. Yeah, it's, no, it's good. Actually, honestly speaking, Eric, uh, the beach is a good place to go. People are being really good at the beach. Uh, generally speaking, uh, what I recommend is you go early, early, early. Mm -hmm. And go to a beach where it's uh, like a beach that's not like a popular beach, right? Find a beach where you got to park on the side of the PCH, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Mm -hmm. right. So that there's only so many people that can go there because there's only so many limited people Cars that can, can park, park there. there, right? So uh, that's really good. And every, I basically, uh, I'll give you a little hint. The place that I went uh, was. You know Malibu Seafoods? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's no parking there, but there's parking on the side of the road. So if you and there's a nice beach there. So you can go there, uh and and you'll be in pretty good shape there because there's just not you can't just fit that many people on that beach. And it's a nice beach. Yeah. Uh, and that's where I went fishing. Fair I had nice. a great time. I had a great nice time guy. there. Uh if you go to like Zuma Beach, uh I think they. I think the other thing is, I think that they they kept the parkings closed. I think so, parkings closed, and you're not allowed to like hang out on the beach. You have to go. Right. So you don't don't don't. Although I did see people putting up tents and and and, and towels down, which they're not technically supposed to be doing, but they right. did it anyway. And the lifeguards weren't doing anything about it because there just wasn't enough people on the beach for it to be a big deal, right? Sure. Right. 
You can't uh, put towels down. You're basically you're supposed to. You're not. You're. You can go to the beach if you want to walk around and hang out and be active on the beach. If you want to sit and park and bring a cooler and have lunch and do dinner and whatever else, you're not technically supposed to do that. Mm. You can't just like park it on the beach, right? Okay, got it. That's what. It, so fishing, like you know, I walked two miles up and down the coast as I was fishing. So that's that's what you're supposed to do when you're fly fishing. Yeah, that's a good deal. It's a nice little workout. Mm-hmm. Nice chill day. Yeah, I like that. I, like that. I mean, two miles is not that long, but you know, hey man, considering <laughs> more, I was there for two and a half getting. hours. <laughs> I've been out of the house about once a month <laughs> for like a couple of, maybe an hour. Uh, yeah. So I, I haven't, I don't even, I don't even go outside the, the apartment. Like, uh, Are I, you exercising, Dan? I use the stairs in my apartment. And that's okay. That. I go up and down the stairs. Eric, you're on the treadmill, right? I do my spin bike uh, sometimes twice a day, but every day. Yep. Good. Look, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, Chris. I hit the spin bike. I have to stay body beautiful. I uh, have to. You, you are the physical well, hey, frontman for Martini Jones. Let me just Very tell you one thing. Role. I look good in tight jeans for my age. And the you other do? thing is, is I can never run away from the runway. Once you're a male model, you're always a male model. And I try to hold on to that. And that's my motto. You never run away from the runway. It's always with you. That's important. I'm being wise, of course. Uh, no, I just do it at the treadmill and watch YouTube videos of, uh, uh, you know. The Kardashians? I, no, I watch stuff like uh, uh, science stuff. I mix it up. Or I watch um, guys review uh, guitar pedals. Or I'll watch old uh, guitar stuff. Or Norman's Rare Guitars always does stuff on like the, you know, here's a $50,000, you know, 1971 Tele Deluxe, you know, all original. And I'm like, ooh. And I, the guy plays all the different. You know what we should do, guys, is is we, I'm sure there's weird stuff that we all watch on YouTube that's like very specific to what we like, right? <laughs> so I actually would love to watch one of Eric's videos like here's here's a video that eric likes about guitar pedals right or, or about this thing or webflow because i taught myself webflow do you guys know webflow it's amazing no so easy yeah, was, so so i would love to to see like if it, I'll send you I, I, like, like just think like pick 10 videos to, i mean i mean this seriously eric pick yeah. 10 videos that you watch on youtube or like Here's something I enjoyed that is very specific to something I enjoy that maybe you'd like. Enjoy. And I'll send you guys my 10. Like, they'll be like, and I've got some weird science stuff and some fly fishing stuff or whatever. Like, and you guys all watch. Like, and it, what I'm wondering, going back to brainstorm, like, and you do the same thing, Dan, obviously, with, you know, whatever you're watching. Going back to brainstorm, that that scene of uh, of of uh, 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 walking is like this is me, this is me, you know. Right. Like, right. Is, is there a way that we can use a YouTube playlist <laughs> to illustrate the kind of you person you are, are get, the kind of you're things you're going to get you stuck like? watching a seven-hour trip uh, to Reykjavik with me on a train. <laughs> I do. I love watching. I love leaving on YouTube. Train videos. Uh, that's oh, that's cool. 
<laughs> YouTube train videos? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and in fact, I was like, there's a guy that I, uh, a, a science uh, guy that I follow who also just admitted to watching YouTube train videos, so I felt very good about it. I started watching them on Netflix because Netflix had them up for a while. It was under, uh, uh, called Netflix Slow TV, and they had like, it was like Swedish, and they had these, you know, like, here's a six hour train ride to Oslo. And I, and I just put it on, and before I knew it, I was, like, deep into watching two hours of watching landscape go by. Oh, and, uh, and so I used now to love I, uh, that. Just, oh, it's great. it's great. When I used to travel by myself, getting on trains and just, like, sitting there, and you had all night just staring out the window. It's really oh, it's romantic. Great. Because, like, I'm, I'm stuck in my, like, my office that I work in at home. I'm uh, working now. As, like, you know, I get up at, you know, 6 in the morning, and then I'm pretty much shut up in this little black box all day long. And... Uh, uh, I have to keep it dark so I can see the screen while I'm painting, and uh, and so I will I'll have these uh, videos on that at least gives me a glimpse of what it's like to move through the outside world <laughs> to translate an X. That's my whole dream. <laughs> yeah, that's all I want to do. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it'll be that and a bunch of Chris Cunningham videos. But I'll put it, I'll put the playlist together. Yeah, we should do that and like what yeah, put it up. I know. So sad. Chris Cunningham? Yeah. I mean, it's not sad for him. I'm sure he's enjoying himself. But, man, it's sad for us who love great and crazy. And, he stopped doing players. it, right? Yeah, I think he's doing he's doing mainly stuff for, like, dance uh, club projections and stuff like that now. He's into a whole different art zone, which is great. You know, I'm glad yeah. that happened for him. But, man, oh, man. Him at the top of his game, music video-wise, one of the tough artists to beat. Absolutely top of, top of the game. If no one's seen that. What happened to what? What has Gontry done actually? Uh, he's been in a few films. Um, I think he's 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 always interesting. Um, I think he's always kind of fighting an uphill battle against himself because Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind is so perfect uh, that right. everyone compares everything he does to that, and it always comes up a little short. But he's he's pretty he's still a pretty inventive director. Um, he's still uh, he's going back to working in France. So he did the one with the green. What was the green hornet or the, uh, like yeah, he did eight green years hornet. ago? Yeah. What? Yeah. yeah, he did. What was it? Green hornet. Green, green hornet. hornet. Yeah, um, I, right now, as a of fact. yeah, I was with, I was on the lot where he was started doing that when I was working mm-hmm. uh, on the lot there at Sony, and yeah. um, somebody I met and used to have lunch with worked in the office and I won't say what he was doing but he worked directly for him uh, using a pencil and um, he was saying that some producer came in and was like they were talking about the story and then he said well hey why don't you just since you're Gondry why don't you just make something out of felt a little character just do it that way (laughs) he was being a wise ass and he's like I will never do that again now that you've said that and he walked out of the room. <laughs> oh, son of a bitch, you robbed us. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, that's that is. That is. Right? It's like, yeah. did, what was the point of saying that? So, yeah, uh, right. you know, so it's uh, somebody, I was talking to somebody today, uh, a producer, because we're working with the CAA, and it was a long conversation, and then, She's like, look, you just have to understand, agents aren't responsible. They'll never return your calls. 
and you can't really trust them with a lot of things. I was like, wow, do you hear? She's like, I've just been in this business long enough, so don't worry. Agents, I was like, wow. <laughs> how about, do they have ADD? And she's like, yeah, they have that too. I was like, well. <laughs> what the fuck are they? Uh, what, what, what? The whole point like, of an agent is to be responsive. So what the fuck is the, I don't know. <laughs> no, she said that's the, they're inundated so much. Their role is not to be responsive and to just juggle things and not return calls and keep an air of that way they can just focus on the, the things that are the tasks that are true. I cannot return calls. That's easy. I do that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I'll take a deal like that. I can. Give, give me a moment. <laughs> do you I fucked call? up today. Yeah, no, I fucked up today or a couple of days ago where I got my meeting wrong. I thought it was in the afternoon and it turns out it was at 10 o'clock. But I was looking at the time of the meeting where the person was, which is oh, yeah. out yeah. In, in Europe. And that. I was like, oh, yeah, you know. And I'm like, no, it, it was 10 o'clock in the morning for me and not like, you know, whatever. So like, I, I right. Well, and you're off fly fishing. He, the key in those situations, if you're confronted with it, just be like, hey, go fuck yourself. That's the way to deal with it in business. And just <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Hey, just want to let you know, fuck you. It's around right, right the corner. Just around the corner. Around the corner. Where? In here? Yeah, yeah, in there. Just grab yeah, it. Yeah, it's a little further. It's around the corner it's up right, there. Yeah, right there. No, no, no. Next one. <laughs> the next door. Yeah, yeah. That is a reference from the movie Goodfellas. That is a reference from Goodfellas. to get that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, I gotta go. I gotta go. No, no, no. I gotta right go. There, right, right there. Right there. Just do it. No. Yeah. I gotta go. No, no, no. Just, oh, maybe I'll take a look at it later. Right yeah. there. Just turn right. Left. Yeah, right there. That, her, her panic in that moment is right there with yeah, the ball when she's being backed up the stairs in the shinings. I just uh, need some time to think things over. <laughs> like, oh, man. Oh, uh, <laughs> This well, because bad. I don't think she ever, she ever, she's ever gotten like the threat of being whacked before. It suddenly, it's yeah. like, oh shit, I'm about to yeah. get whacked. You know? Yeah, and Jimmy is gonna do yeah. it for sure. There's no two ways about it. <laughs> like, that's he was gonna time. do it, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, you can that's hear funny. somebody in the back there. Yeah, yeah. Like, that, 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 that solves the problem though. That's for sure. <laughs> that's right. He's the forward thinker, that Jimmy. <laughs> um, man, oh man. Um, yeah. I here's the thing. I'm thinking about this movie. It's like a lot of directors now are well, not a lot, but I guess we touched on it earlier. Uh, why infuse so much technology? You know, there's a lot of directors try to use technology as a way of expressing when it's not necessary. Or it sometimes I feel that way with um, with uh, James Cameron. Cameron, Cameron, whatever yeah. it is. I just, it's it, it almost like it impedes. Uh, well, I think that, uh, that people get fascinated by the technology and they forget to make the movie. That definitely happens a lot. Yeah. But, uh, like, there are it happened a lot, it. probably right when digital was really started to, to big kick. You know, right. like mid-2000s yeah. up yeah. where everybody was it's doing the tech. But, I mean, then you get people like, uh, you know, Alphonse Cuaron, or even with Roma. Like, Roma, Roma has a lot of uh, very subtle effects work in it. Uh, but he knows how to control it. You know, he knows, he knows when to use that stuff. Yeah. Um, and, or even when he's going big, like, you know, Children of Men. Like, in that you, you think of that as a real place, and these are real things happening. Not, 
obsessing about how realistic it looks. It's all delivering the story for you. But I think that, like, with Cameron, like, uh, like, like I said, I, I really enjoy Avatar. I, I'll, I'll stand up for Avatar. I think it's a really... I watched that with my son, and, like, he was totally wowed by it. He's like, this is, you know, it's, it's so fun and imaginative and propulsive and all this stuff. But, like, I feel that the, the only issue with it is that because it took so long to refine the technology, he kind of over-polished the script. And there's, it's too um, pat and too smooth. And it, I miss the intensity of, like, you watch The Terminator, and that thing feels like you're, like you just smoked some very yep. serious yep. drugs, and you're, like, you're hitting the road at high speed. And it's panic-inducing. You know? Yeah, it's and even the model stuff you buy, because it's like, oh, I yeah. dig it. Yeah, it's um, just cool. It's, I mean, it doesn't look real, but it definitely looks cool. You know what's interesting? I, we didn't talk about this earlier, but... I actually, at one point in my life, knew uh, somebody that was a super well-known artist um, who did a lot of work for other artists, for other directors. Mm-hmm. And he was angry because he was just like, I gave all my best ideas away. Oh, drag. That sucks. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, that ego thing, I, I kind of wonder... I don't know. I mean, it's just, there are a lot of great um, technical artists or artists that work with directors, but then they try to stretch their legs. Wasn't there one for um, uh, George Lucas that he did a lot of Star Wars stuff and he tried to do his own thing? But there are that who just feel like they need to stretch, but they're not really, they're technical. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? uh, Right, because I mean, I'll definitely go to bat for Lucas with because I think he's one of the most important. I'm not saying uh, Lucas. There was a guy that worked for him. Oh sure, yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, there's just Lucas. You just to pick out pick out Lucas himself. He gets hammered for episodes one through three being bad movies, and they are bad movies. Right? But, I mean, the guy, you know, also is responsible for pushing, um, you know, high like high end video to shoot on harder than anyone. You know? That's like, right. He's just he's absolutely resp- technologically responsible for the revolution that we that that we're in right now um and i think that's great you know and i think it's you know like he's in a zone where he just wasn't he was making star wars movies because he needed the money to do the stuff that he wanted to be doing you know he didn't make this new star wars movies because he desperately wanted to make star wars movies anymore and i think that's why they turned out badly you know and everyone makes fun of them but when you when someone wants to make a movie you can really feel it in the movie and like you with crumble with brainstorm like you can feel it you can feel the, um, like, he's got something that he's got to get out of his head. And that's why the movie works, you know. And, like, you said with the Terminator, like, it fucking, who gives a shit if the robot looks like stop motion? It looks awesome. Yeah. Like, it's exactly the level of excitement that I have for this movie. Like, somebody did that, and they were as pumped about this thing as I am. And that's why it's fine, you know. And whereas, like, a friend of mine, like, I can't remember who it was, let me, uh, a, 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 uh, but let me borrow his uh, masterclass uh, 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 subscription for a day, and um, uh, recently. And oh, that's nice of him. He's a super sweet guy. Uh, I, I gotta huh. remember what his name was. Anyway, he lent me this, and they, um, and I watched the uh, the David Lynch masterclass and the Werner Herzog masterclass, uh, and uh, I loved both of them. They were incredible yep. fun, yep. you know. Uh, and these, are, you know, these. Uh, incredible guys telling these beautiful anecdotes about the projects they've done and all this kind of stuff. Um, but the overwhelming effect that I got from the both of them was that 
there's no like I, I enjoyed I enjoyed it soup nuts I thought it was great you know but there's nothing to learn from them except they love doing this like technique is your technique you know like te- technology is technology or like however you set up shots or however you put the day together or whatever whatever your particular thing is like between Lynch and um, and Herzog they're two different guys who do it two different ways Right? So there's nothing you can really learn, magical thing that you can learn from, uh, you know, uh, knowledge brought down from on high from the, these gods of cinema. Like, no. They get, they get talking about it, and what's true is that they love movies as much as I do. That's the, that's the actual thing to learn. Well, that goes back to this thing, and then whoever did that is a very, probably a, a, a very nice person. Super but, sweethearts. Uh, yeah, I can't remember, but you know. Yeah, I'm sure he's yeah. as all Hollywood very giving, very gi- looks great, great. Probably great a douchebag. What I'm I sure. my favorite. Look, I remember thing, jeans. I remember great. Looks uh, great. I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, my favorite filmmaking book ever is "Who the Devil Made It" by Bogdanovich. Because oh, Bogdanovich, yeah, yeah. It, it's yeah. the greatest one ever made, and I've read it yeah, twice. Yeah, you turn me onto that. That's, it's yeah, like. Great. All it is is stories. Yeah, I was in a bar, and this guy was shooting a film, and oh my God, he had another script, and he had to shoot another one in a week. So he gave me the script and said, you just pretend you're me. And I went out to the desert, and I shot it. Those are great stories. And that's what I think the David Lynch and Herzog thing is. Also, it just, because a lot of that stuff on that channel, I find some of the people dopey, but um, and and real douchebags. But it's worth... It's waiting gold to just hear in your headphones him just telling stories about Kinski. Because yeah, that's the heart of it, dude. Yeah. Oh, this man. Is the heart of and it's did. just about relationships like, and having an exploration yeah. of the mind, saying, there's yeah. something out there. I'm going to go underneath the ice and do it. And yep. I knew this guy, and, he, and he's a wonderful guy, and he's a hulking guy, and he used to be a soccer player. And we got on wetsuits, and we went under the ice. And it's like, wow, how cool is that? You're living. Like and the, and the, like exactly like that's and that is what they, like that is what you learn from these guys is like they are embracing the fact that they love it and then they figure out a way to do it on the fly that's why they've done it and like if you're if you're going into this stuff expecting like okay I'm gonna come out with like a checklist of stuff to do and then I'll be Werner Herzog well no <laughs> like, like it's the going and the doing and being but the reason excited. I'm sure this guy sent this to you is mm. because. In it, he was talking about um, the the concept of observation with the book The Peregrine, which was that 1968 yes. book on the peregrine bird. And right. it's about observation and just holding still. Kind of my thing about like Ouija, the photographer, and in my street mm-hmm. photography and stuff, it's just about observing people and pulling from that, not posing. Yes. When they're not yes. paying attention. Right. And Herzog is like that. The thing I love about the Lynch uh, is he's a painter, and he started as a painter, and that's what I and that's for me my thing. And mm-hmm. he just uses whatever materials possible to tell the story. I love like Elephant Man and uh, Blue Velvet, and yep. it's just he sees things in that way, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to just do painting and stuff. He just has to clean the pipes. That's what I love about him. Because every day I draw and do artwork because i got to clean the pipes. And so it's a ritual to relax because otherwise you can't relax. And so um, that's all. And I love the Lynch stuff. But the Herzog, he's a greater man than I because he just travels the world and goes under ice. And I don't do that. Yeah, nothing stops I go to Ralph's. Nothing stops him. 
yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's like I mean, you can still make a great movie going to Ralph's, but like he is, he is unafraid. You to still do can make a good movie and go to Ralph's. I yes. like that. It's very true. It's very true. And with and with Lynch, my favorite thing that Lynch actually my very favorite thing. Uh, here, I, I, tw- I tweeted about this today. My two favorite things from the Lynch interview is number one, um, he there's a little addendum. Uh, or addenda that's uh, just him talking about transcendental med- meditation. I have I, I read his books, I, yeah. And I completely love it, and he's very specific in how he explains how he views the universe, and it's very similar to how I yep. I was very yep. excited. And the uh, and the other thing is that they, he's watching a clip from um, uh, uh, It's a Wonderful Life, and he starts crying. Yeah. And I was like, I fucking love you, David Lynch. This is what it's about, man. He's like, he's overwhelmed by that movie. And uh, and you see it in his like his he is literally tearing up and crying, and I'm just like that's man that's why he's a great fucking filmmaker right there like he is in he's in the zone. Or sometimes like imagery or events help you define the world or yeah. what your perception of it is. And look at that little dude. And I think that goes back to what happened to me when I was five, and I use that is how I perceive the world. Right, right. That no, exploration. Well, and- I love that. Is that a, a Sharpay? <laughs> That's a gecko. That was close. Isn't he cool? cool. What's the name of the gecko? He's a cutie. Look at that little dude. So What's his name? Uh, Well, his name is Marco, although we now think it may be a girl. And then uh, uh, I think that Brady's going to call her Martina. Martina. Like Martina and I said like Navratilova and he goes I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't know what you're saying. No. How about Billy Jean King? Oh yeah, I still do not know. What you're saying. Look, like a look at that guy. The cutie. Look at that dude. I mean, his, oh, uh, 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 Lily likes to call him because he's got. They call him eyelash geckos. You see the eyelashes on them? They're not actually eyelashes. It's just part of their thing. Call him Billy Eyelash. Oh, that's uh, cool. That's good, Billy Eyelash. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. But yeah, no. My um, my uh, my favorite gig with uh, with Lynch is you know he makes these incredibly twisted, wacky, frightening movies, but he he uh, is a happy guy because he practices art every day, and he says and he constantly says like, you can make any kind of art you want. You can make scary art or sad art or whatever you want to make, but you don't. Or you have can tie to be, flies, which is also a you form can of tie flies. It, it is. You yeah. can tie flies. You do not have to suffer to make great art. You do not have to be sad to make great art. Pain gets in the way of being creative. Mm-hmm. And I was like, like that is the great truth right there. That is the great truth. And I think that that's what he really delivers with his work. And I was, it was, it was really, watching that video in particular, I was like, I, I, I love his movies twice as much now. Like, he is, the, knowing the way he is connected. Really, really bad. Another masterclass you should watch is Bobby Brown because she goes over foundation and oh, uh, nice. different makeup techniques. So that's great. I was actually going to send send that to you, <laughs> <laughs> Billy Bobby Brown. Um, I love that show. It's a great show. Um, it. No, it's the foundation of the uh, makeup girl. But I there's some uh, other yeah. cool things on there. But it's background. It was actually a yeah. great deal because of COVID. I think it was. Uh, uh, Seventy-five or hundred bucks for two accounts for one year. That's a great deal. Yeah, it's not bad. That's not bad. But yeah, I I, uh, I I appreciate it just because like when I'm map painting, like I yeah. really need stuff. She doesn't use it. She uses mine on the TV here. That's my account. Oh man, dude, it's such a blessing because like. Oh, should we so, say that? Uh, no. 
No, no, no. I am only borrowing this. I intend to get it myself. I just want to see what No, 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 no. What I'm saying is we don't want to say that on the th show, but anyway. Oh, yeah. Well, hey. No, but the... Uh, uh, Use it as long as you, uh, use it as long as you no want. No one listens to this no podcast anyway, so don't worry. Use it as long as you want. Dan, there's no time clock, okay? <laughs> I'm your second screen. I appreciate that. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's uh, having something like that to uh, to uh, have that happen in my mental space while I'm painting uh, is very, very helpful. It's helpful. It makes, yeah, it really uh, keeps make, keeps the day going by quick, and uh, uh, and uh, I've. Because of COVID, I've basically run out of things to watch. <laughs> I've gone through everything. I'm now I'm now deep into the Amazon Prime back catalog. Have you watched Ozark? Ozark? Uh, I haven't I haven't gotten into Ozark yet. Yeah, it's I uh, I watched the first uh, first episode and I liked it. And I just haven't. Uh, yeah, it's good. I liked. I, I watched about most of the first season and then I was like, I, there's other things to watch. I don't know. I was not didn't catch invested. Right. I like um, it a I, lot. I I watched um, a uh, Rutger Hauer film from uh, I think probably 1986 or 87. Blind uh, Fury. Oh, no, no, I do love Blind Fury and Split Second uh, of the same time period. Uh, and also, it, you want a great Rutger Hauer movie to watch that very few people have seen. Spetters. Watch um, the Spetters. Yeah, the uh, the Blood of Heroes. Have you hmm. seen this? No. Blood of Heroes. It is written and directed by David Peoples, who also wrote Blade Runner and Unforgiven. Oh and, yes, uh, it is a it's a great post a really low budget post apocalyptic sports movie, which is uh, rare, and it is uh, it's extremely fun and uh, exciting, and Howard is amazing. But the movie that I want to mention is called A Breed Apart with Powers Booth and Rutger Hauer. I know that, and, and uh, Kathleen uh, Turner, and yep. I want to bring it up because it has. The all-time worst sex scene I have seen in a film ever, and it's between Kathleen Turner and Rutger Hauer, where it's the it, an awkward on, montage ends up with him sucking on her foot, and you simply have to see it. It's on Prime. <laughs> That's all I got. I couldn't believe it. It would blew. It, it, it stayed with me for a week. You're basically telling me to watch the worst sex scene ever. Worst like... sex scene I have oh, ever seen. I know ever. Breed Apart. You know why? Why is that? I worked on the titles. You did the Breed Apart titles? I worked oh, on those. It's God on my resume. You. I knew there was a reason I clicked on it. That's incredible. That's good. That movie's not so good. I'm like, the listen to are Breed Apart. I was like, how do I know that show? I, it's on my resume. That was, oh, uh, nice. would you say 2001, 2000? Are, are you guys bad? Are you guys bad at earlier? Because I worked earlier. on a show called A Breed Apart. Now, this is a movie. This is like a It was a movie. Like a, yeah, it's a movie. So, yeah. I would say it's probably maybe early 90s. Okay, this is different. I worked on A Breed Apart. A Breed Apart. Um, yeah. Doing titles. Maybe they remade it. Maybe, maybe someone's like, i got to remake that sex thing. But i got to watch this. Oh, dude. Powers Booth. I love Powers Booth. I'm a big Powers Booth fan. Um, um, and I watched that. And uh, I, I did a bunch of great, like, uh, I dug up some real good 80s jams. I did that. I did um, a, a couple of, uh, 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 what's his name? Shoot, who's the guy from Kung Fu? Keith Carradine. Carradine. David Carradine. David Carradine, and I'm starting to think of Keith Carradine. I watched a couple of great Keith Carradine movies. I watched um, uh, uh, Southern Comfort with yes. uh, yes. uh, Keith Carradine and uh, Fred uh, Ward and God, who else? He just died. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, that's Fred Willard. Oh, no, your friend Willard, Willard died. Um, here's the thing. Here's what. 
I'm sorry, I interrupted. I, what I Fred want, no, no. Fred Willard is actually a good friend of a uh, friend of mine. Uh, he's he was a he's a hell of a comedian, man, amazing guy. Oh, oh, Fred man. Ward was um, amazing all by himself. Yeah. So um, no I saw the Space Force the first episode. I heard it's yeah. not so good. It's it's really quite horrible. The second oh, one man. is that if you go to Prime, mm -hmm. I think it's Prime. They have like all those 80s shows, and I watched the pilots for Seinfeld, Cheers. You oh, can yeah. go through all those and watch the pilots. It's really interesting to watch, particularly Cheers. Oh, yeah. I've I saw the pilots. Pilot. So, I, yeah. so listen, because we, we are in. We watch a lot of Frasier at our house. Yeah, no, you're legendary for it. I think Kelsey Grammer is probably going to stop by your house after quarantine. And thank you. Thank you personally. Yeah, it's kind of crazy because, like, Brady, like, do you remember that time on Frasier when he tried to, you know, buy this drink or like, was like, what the fuck? And I realized, like, he's actually watched the, my son's favorite show is this Frasier, and so he's he's watched all of Frasier, all twelve seasons, eight times. Oh my god, that's yeah. real dedication. That beat me. Like I was on board it's, for it's, it, like it, the beginning of the Daphne romance with Niles. I'm totally yeah, down. Yeah. But I think yeah. I've only seen about one episode. It's yeah, a great. No, show. He's it's watched legit a lot of it. Show. And there's, you know, what the thing is, it's really good writing. It's really good comedy writing and very good very pun good stuff, fun. right? Like it's like oh, the puns are gold. gold. Like it's, you know. A little, a little more mature, so Eric is not necessarily for you. Um, cheap shot, and I love it. Breed apart. Breed apart. Breed apart. Yeah. <laughs> Rucker Hauer sucking um, on a foot. The breed uh, of, I'm going to look that up, because there was a breed apart. That that, I, I don't were, know if it's were a you, remake, though. I can't believe you would make a remake of that. Were you the foot double? <laughs> I was the foot oh double on Breed Apart. Rucker Hauer put that down. <laughs> the foot <laughs> double? <laughs> I swear to God, I was so, I was so like scarred by this. I was, I was not ready. I was not ready. It was like I did because I did. Uh, uh, what's the movie? The Western with uh, uh, Keith Carradine and uh, there. It's all pairs of brothers. There's the Quaid brothers, um, and uh, David Carradine, Keith Carradine, and uh, what is the name of that Western? It's a George Roy Hill movie, I think. Oh, it came out in the '80s. It's a Jesse James movie. Anyone, have you seen this? No. Anybody? Well, I, no. Oh, yeah. It's something else. Really violent. It's fun. Uh, I had a good '80s crap '80s day on Amazon, and I was like, I'm gonna hit read apart. And before I know it, I was trapped, and my eyes were being my, my retinas were being burnt out by that image. I started uh, playing. I, I got. I, I. I felt like I could no longer do. Skyrim, like I've, I'm done. Like I, I, like there's probably some other adventures I could quests I can do, but like I couldn't find it. And it was just getting a little bit thing. So I decided I needed to um, do something else because like I like fly fishing or Skyrim is basically what I've been doing most of. The, so I, I, I've actually started. How many hours to play, did you put in? Uh, I put in four hundred, maybe five hundred hours, a lot. When? Uh, Your whole life? Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, it's pretty good. Uh, so I started to play um, 
uh, uh, Red Dem Redemption 2. Oh, yeah. Fun game. And Good game. she's... That is that is uh, intense. It's 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 it it is it it does feel it is one of the most cinematic films or movies or games I've played, um, with the exception of Last of Us uh, and any of the Naughty Dog stuff is 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 brings cinematic stuff to a next level. Yeah. But yeah, uh, it's pretty incredible. Oh yeah, dude! It's a it was a groundbreaking. It worked. I loved. I love Red Dead too. I love Red. I love Red Dead, the first one. Um, but there's so much detail in that second one, and you can just go and mess around in so many different kinds of ways. Story is very strong. Characters are really well written, and uh, it's just endless and it's fun. Uh, I got into that quite. And they also have a really wonderful uh, uh, photo mode. Uh, if you're into it, you can pause. Like, essentially, make everything in the world stop. Fly the camera around. Play with the focal length. Do all these effects. Uh, and take uh, posed photographs in the old west. It's incredible. Yeah, it's yeah. like oh, wow. rendering. <laughs> yeah, it's gorgeous, unbelievably gorgeous. Really, really great time. Also, my favorite little uh, uh, note in that game is um, uh, if you go to uh, Saint Denis, right? Uh, one of the first uh, buildings you can see riding in from the north on your right-hand side is a, a hotel, and it, it is in Saint Denis. It is the Hotel Villeneuve. <laughs> wow. That's, really? Like, really? That's, that's good business. <laughs> Glad that they like Denny Villeneuve. That's wow. <laughs> that's some good nerd love right there. God bless you guys. Nerd love. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, I've, uh, I've video game-wise, I've uh, gone back and I've been playing the uh, first, it's not the first game I worked on, but one of the first games I worked on. You went uh, to the Thief. A thief, yeah. And uh, I was shocked at what a good game it is. Like, it holds up so, so well. It was, like, it's incredibly intense. Like, it's such a great sneaker game. Like, you're, you have to, because you'll just get killed if you get found by the guard, these medieval guards. Um, and it's so compelling and so well designed. Uh, and the sound design is so fantastic. That I found myself, it's like 2 in the morning, and I was just, like, leaning all the way into the screen. Like, I was trying to look through a window. Uh, and, uh, you know, you can get this thing for, like, you know, five bucks on Steam, and it's literally one of the best games that uh, I've ever played, uh, and it's, it's really phenomenal. Uh, it is only uh, disturbing in that, like, I play about 40% of the voices of the characters you hear, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm constantly stabbing myself and dying over and over and over again. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. Um, da -dum, da -dum, da -oh! <laughs> yeah, left and right. But it's, it's um, totally fucking awesome. Great game. I, I went back uh, to uh, Trace Ombres, and I highly recommend it. 1974 and ZZ Top. Oh, Perfect. yeah, there you go. Perfect yeah, album. Um, yeah. Chris, that's from your land. And their first album's genius. This album's very good, man. Uh, I It's nice to go and visit, like, 70s rock be like what the beautiful oh, yeah. the there's an energy that. there that is it's hard to get today do you know what i mean yeah no doubt. and um i think it's because they just played bars like the beatles in hamburg forever and ever and ever until they got so good and yeah. then they just erupted like a cannon you don't get that today they were houston based that's right they're houston based then yep. yeah yeah top 
Yeah, they were, I mean, the 70s, they're incredible. By the 80s, they became a different kind of band. And do you know what his, uh, Billy's uncle did? I told you that. Billy mm-hmm. Gibbons, the lead singer, his, his uncle was Cedric. He designed the uh, Oscar. Oh, right. <laughs> you did awesome. tell me that. Yeah, that's great. Good. He was also one of the great, he gave the name production designer that came from him. Oh, that's great. I love it. Uncle Cedric. Not bad. Oops. Good lineage. Uh, oh, 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 sorry. Gecko is escaping. Oh, watch out. Watch out. Yeah, the cool thing about the gecko is that if you, he's got a pencil tail. Mm-hmm. And so if you hold him like this. Tonight's doodle. Oh, he's now, 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 now. Oh, she is nice not. I don't want to do this, but like there. Do this. I did this the other day, though. This has a cool vibe to it. Oh, it's good. I like that one. And oh, I'm, that's cool. Yeah, I'm using some inks. This is uh, strongly, this is giving me strong 2001 vibes right now, where I feel like I am Hal, and you're showing me the sketches of the guys in the pods that will soon be killed. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. All, all come full come circle with Dunk Trouble. <laughs> there the it is. See? Rap but we are getting towards the end, and we had to uh, pull off almost three hours, and I, and I have to give Brady his room back so he can go to sleep. So. Why don't we that just do nice. another 50 minutes, and then the call yeah, is What do you think? Come on. I've got to give the room back to, to Brady. So Well, thank that. Brady very much. This is a very good time. Uh, yeah. and, uh, I've been playing with his playing gecko with while he's, uh, while he's uh, hanging out in the living room watching Frasier. No, that's a nice deal. So, I've been, uh, you have actually froze about maybe 20 minutes ago, and your eyes are closed. Yes, and okay. so I've been hearing your voice, but I haven't been able to see the gecko because, like, you look like you are asleep. You know, like uh, your head is sort of nodded against the microphone and completely asleep. <laughs> you have not. You're, but you are chunky in terms of the uh, the the big boxy compression that I'm seeing. So that's natural, I'll, though. Yeah, that's my natural look. Your natural look. <laughs> right. Well, fellas, that was a lovely movie. Thank you for uh, bringing that one up. Yeah, was, uh, thank you, Chris. Cool. That was, that was fun. So that yeah. means, uh, uh, Eric, you're next, or 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 if you are a fan of the podcast and you want to suggest something different, uh, you can, of course, do that as well. And you can follow us on. Let's see, uh, uh, Twitter at martinigiant dot, uh, not dot com at martinigiant. There it is. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you can uh, get us at Instagram at uh, martini underscore giant. Yep. Uh, and we are on Facebook, uh, Martini Giant. And uh, you can also mail us at um, podcast at martinigiant.com. Perfect. Uh, please let us know the things you want us to cover. And please like and review uh, as you do with stuff like this. And it really helps us out. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, so uh, we are going to wrap it up, and uh, and if you guys want to hear an interview with Dunk Trouble that I'm going to do following this, uh, just make sure to go to CG Garage, which is another podcast I do, and I will actually be talking to Doug Trumbull himself, probably covering this film if uh, if Doug is willing to talk about it. So we'll see. No, I'm super excited to hear this one. That's one of you. All right. Great. Um, I'm going to throw out one last recommendation. Um, Amazon Prime, you can watch a great movie uh, that I knew nothing about going into, but I watched it twice and loved it. Check out The Vast of Night, uh, which is what? a really spooky, sci-fi, Twilight Zone-esque movie that uh, was made on a very low budget. And uh, I, oh, I saw, saw that. It, I saw that. 
Yeah, it really. Yeah, I loved it. I mean, the radio station. The radio station. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Loved it. I loved it. Awesome loved film. It. Absolutely. Loved I was like, it. how do I know that? Yes. The I just, vast of night. The really vast good. of night. Check this when one out if you've never heard of it. Just it came was out. Least, 2019. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. It was like, uh, and the only like it came out on Amazon like, I don't know, like a week ago or whatever it is. If you uh, if you haven't heard of it, just press play. It is a, it's a weird, it's a weirdly paced movie. Um, but it's, it's very, great. very enjoyable once you get into the groove. And man, it's a great stuff like, oh, he's um, never did anything before. Also, I put this on the, on the webpage. Um, if you want to know what I look like, I look like this director so much so that I was confused. I was like, wait a minute, I think I'm, dra- I, I'm daydreaming. Really? <laughs> I think I directed this movie. <laughs> it may have de- this is what I do when I sleep. My God. <laughs> wow. But the, the Vast of Night. Absolutely spectacular debut film, and uh, and that's my recommendation for this week. I like it. All right, guys. Guys. Did you do it? What's this? Drink. 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 <laughs> <laughs>